Hi, welcome to Sodnet Radio. For this episode, we're breaking from our regular campaign to give you a Christmas special. In this episode, we're going to dive into a specialism of a couple of members of the cast, which is archaeology. We rambled a hell of a lot during recording this, and I've cut out a lot of stuff which isn't necessarily archaeology related, but it's still entertaining. And what I've done is I've taken that, made a, a great big blooper reel of it, and I'm going to put it on the Patreon feed for anyone who wants to pledge one dollar or more. After getting through this, we reckon we've got a lot more to talk about in archaeology, but we need your feedback for it. So if you get in touch with us on Twitter at Swordnut Radio, on our Facebook page, or by email swordnutradio at gmail.com, we are more than happy to answer questions on the air or direct to you and collaborate with you on your stories and how you want to incorporate archaeology in your games. Right, on with it. Thanks for listening. So, uh, let's do an intro, shall we? Hi, welcome to Sword Nut Radio. Hi, welcome to Sword Nut Radio. Why is your jaw articulating? In order like to do that? this voice, I have to move my mouth an unnatural amount. It's like that bit of Monty work. Python where he starts playing the piano on his teeth. Hi. And then they all run away. How's everyone doing tonight? The first couple of times you did that, you've calmed down now, but the first couple of times there was a worrying amount of hip movement as well to, to accompany that. <laughs> I d- he sat I don't down think earlier, it... he just did that yeah. towards his crotch. No! Crotch <laughs> I don't want my attention drawn towards anyone's crotch. You were looking first, and I had to take advantage of it. So, uh, uh, we, are, we are going to... Fuck, no. Um, uh, sit in with I, me... I, I would rather not, to be yeah. honest. Uh, <laughs> Unless my wife arrives. Uh, we are going to be doing a discussion episode about archaeology in RPGs and RPGs with archaeology in them. Setting me with me is a fellow archaeologist, Kate. I'm Kate! Uh, I've been an archaeologist since 2008. <laughs> and I, I went to university and ostensibly learnt things. And what did you do your dissertation on? Cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and an interest in witchcraft and deviant burial. And Yes, yeah, that's my current... Uh, interest is witchcraft in Middle Ages Scandinavia, not Vikings. Hmm. And it's different. What do you do currently in the field of archaeology? Uh, I don't know. I just left Describe my jo- your job. I, I, I left my job today. Technically Nothing. unemployed. I do sweet fuck all. Uh, yeah. And I'm Paul. I'm usually the DM, and I, as you know, I'm an archaeologist. Uh, I've been an archaeologist since 2004. I am a heritage consultant, and I've been working with Kate for the last... Yeah, I, like, I am actually a heritage yeah. consultant, I think, maybe. Just about. Well, you're not yeah. anymore. But I will be in January again. <laughs> in a couple of weeks, yeah. Uh, my speciality, uh, it was, well, my dissertation was medieval weaponry. Um, it was swords in uh, burial monuments in the, Middle, in the Middle Ages, uh, and the iconography and the symbology of it. Also went on to study lots of stuff about swords and armour and topology and hema and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yes. What's the best thing you've ever found, personally? Like, actually dug out of the ground? On, on, in what context best? For you. For you. What do you, what do you remember best? Because it won't be what normal people think uh, we've, about. We've found, we called it the... No, no, I didn't find that. Someone else found it, but I worked on it. I suppose you could, you, you could, you could claim that. It was on a dig that you worked on. It wasn't. It was on a... We just had the skeletons from the dig, mm-hmm. but um, my friend at the time was doing a PhD on it, and there was a person who had tuberculosis, but they were so severely deformed that we called them tuberculosis zombie. Oof! <laughs> it was Lovely. awful. It was really interesting, but it was, I've never seen anything that bad. Mm. Like I've seen osteomyelitis and stuff like that, 
but that was worse. Mm. It was horrendous. Oh, and then there was a child that was buried with uh, like a, a metal iron plate across the top of its mouth, shaped. Mm-hmm. But from the shape of it, it looks like they've put it in this child's mouth while it was still hot. Oh. Yeah. Fair enough. That was fucked up. Mm. I also found a horse brass at Vindolander and that was fancy and special and normal. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the thing you lead with if some, if a normal person asks you about archaeology. You're not normal. <laughs> well, no. But this is the thing is archaeologists will, will like things that's that are non-archaeologists. That's why I asked him what context. Yeah. Because I, I, like, I quite like finding ditches and things like that. I, I know it's it's I like paleo channels. Yeah. Paleo channels are lovely. Which are just like really, really old water channels and like rivers and things that have silted really up. Get nice lam- I'm going to sound like such a geek. You can get really nice laminated sections and all the stripes are beautiful and it gets really flat. Yeah. I love a good section. <laughs> Hi, and I'm Biddy. <laughs> uh, and I'm a Biddy and I have been a Biddy since 2000. Have you watched Time Team? Yes. Okay. You know nothing about archaeology, well done. <laughs> Although, uh, interestingly, the most interesting thing I've ever dug up is a what would have been, but was totally fucked at the point in which I dug it up, a silver-plated candlestick. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Nice. I have no idea where I dug this up. I just have a very distinct memory of doing this as a child. It could have been planted by my parents to make my life more interesting. For all I know. That makes but, them brilliant parents. Yeah. As, as, as a memory, it is still valid. So there we go. Uh, a friend of mine once uncovered in her garden on the Isle of Wight. The Isle of Wight has lots of limestone, and so limestone gets these little fishes in it, uh, and, mm. and the earth kind of you know, builds up in that. Um, and so they dug down, and they found one of these fishes, and they started like scraping around, and they found, buried point down, a 1806 pattern cavalry saber. Point down? Point down. And like buried vertically, swords don't get buried vertically; no. they get buried horizontally. Yeah. So people just like chuck them. So they just stabbed it into the ground and left it, and then it got. They they put it into the ground. Yeah. And then buried it. They found this fissure that was it was beneath the topsoil by quite a way as well. So they they'd taken the topsoil off. They dug a big pit basically, and then um, dug even further down and cleared the soil out. And then inserted this sword into it, buried buried it with soil around it as they went. For for what what reason I I would never even consider why what what the fuck are they doing <laughs> yeah so we're going to talk about archaeology in RPGs mm-hmm. and I'm going to just have to flat out remember what people have said on Twitter and things in I, I loved I loved the tweet where Joe said we've done some episodes with some really well uh, <laughs> some really well portrayed archaeologists archaeology. No, no, you haven't. You think you have, but you haven't. <laughs> there is a special hell, Joe. Oh, it made me... Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. I was in the office as well, so I couldn't rage about it properly, so I was just sat there going... <laughs> I got a lot of work done very quickly. <laughs> it's, what in- it's what inspired me to say that this is what we'll do, because the- there are two things. Firstly, is that the episode that would go out during this one, this would be the Christmas episode, right? So it's not a Christmas special, because we're really bad at doing those, but... Um, I listened to the cliche episode while I was it's so, so good. Bad. No, we're it's very so good bad. at doing so them. Good. We're just very bad at recording them. Yeah, because the good ones we never record. Yeah, Kiss Save Santa and uh, the the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon thing was yeah. amazing. You were doing this because the episode that was going to go out would be the one where spoilers. <laughs> so we we, the, the, we can cut that out. Yeah, Steve uh, Perry. Uh, the, the the episode where Steve Perry Steve Perry's. Mm. I was talking to Cheryl about it, and I was like, I just I just realised this. I went, oh shit, this is going to be the Christmas one, and then I thought. 
because uh, Christmas always like sneaks up on me. I don't really sort of count down to it. So it's so like, oh, oh, it's next week, right? Hey, and um, it would be it probably released on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or something. And I was like, I, I can't make people listen to that on Christmas Eve. That's like, and Cheryl said, yeah, you could do that. It'd be like um, like EastEnders or something. Or like not on my watch. No. Uh, so so we're doing a discussion episode. So it's something that people don't cry about, uh, or maybe they will. And it was Joe. Well, it was Howie Roll who did Blackwater Creek. And they had. It is really. I really enjoyed it. Apart from any moment in time that they were talking about archaeology, which was a lot because <laughs> three out of the five PCs were archaeologists, and they were trying to find an archaeologist. No, no, no they weren't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were not. But that's something I want to cover. Like Call of Cthulhu uses archaeologists. Oh, a lot. A lot, yeah. Um, and does yet, it? Does it really? The big thing that has come out of this of me asking people about um, how you want to use archaeology and things like that, is that no one knows enough about archaeology to ask questions. The response that I got most out of, out of all of them uh, repeated was, I wouldn't know where to start asking questions. And yet people are using it and, and actually using archaeology as a thing and just, like, and just hand-waving it. So like, you don't have to go and do an archaeology degree, but here are some questions you can ask and make it interesting kind of thing. And also fantasy and you're traveling in a landscape where things are thousands of years old and all that sort of stuff and it's all wizards and and warriors and legends and whatever but there's no archaeology you do some ruins and stuff like that and it's like oh well uh you've described some ruins that is obviously where the plot lies we're gonna go over there like aram from godsfall did that once and then decided i can't put ruins anywhere because they go oh that must be where he wants us to go and it's like no he's just describing time depth in his world he's there are things there and you know, it's, it's to look at and mm. flavor, and one line in the description was like, "Oh no, there's a ruined castle. There must be treasure." It's like, fuck off! There is never that's, fucking that's treasure. Not how ruined castles work? Yeah, I have found treasure. I have found actual treasure. Legal defi- treasure. Legal treasure. That's cool. On Where? the on Steve Perry. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, we're Sorry, trying really, really hard that. to make it not treasure. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it totally is. It is. Yeah, they found twenty coins in an area this size. That's treasure. That's a yeah. yeah. So, so I, I've legitimately found treasure in my career, and it is it is not like this. Uh, and and there are some things in there, like little details, that can add a lot to uh, a world and how you describe things, and things that can change the mechanics of it as well. Like there's one particular thing that changes mechanics, and I want to come back to that. So, like you've got this whole fantasy world that should be rich in archaeology. If people have, you've, you've, you've said that, you know, a thousand years ago, um, the people were over here and doing this and doing that. Like, well, where are they now? Where are the things that they left behind? And how has that influenced things? So I want to get into that. And I want you guys to please interrupt me as much as possible because you know me and I'll talk for four hours and it'll be boring. And I want to cover things like um, deviant burial and like weird things that you know from archaeology and like... Biddy, you might not know lots, lots of stuff about archaeology. My, but my ask role questions. in this in this episode will be to be the idiot player who doesn't know anything about archaeology. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Fill that gap quite well, I think. I mean, I would have gone with. To be fair, but... there are lots of idiots that know lots of stuff about archaeology. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. Yeah. Oh God, there was a, there was a dig. There was, there was a guy. I'm going to cut this the fuck out. In fact, I might not actually. Um, there was a, a, a dig that I was uh, monitoring because my role is I, I don't go and dig. I, I pay people to dig and, and then I go and check that they're doing things right and, and see if we need to do any more. There was a guy um, who was digging this stuff up and he's a great archaeologist, really knew his stuff, and he was on this site on his own, which was a load of big pits dotted around, like sort of four by four pits dotted all around everywhere. 
And um, it was the middle of nowhere. Normally, you don't work on your own. No. Uh, but he was on his own. It was like, okay, maybe he's senior enough and maybe he's self-employed. Do that you sort of not stuff. work on your Still own as safe. a safety issue or as a trust issue in case you find something so you don't nick it? Safety, not trust. Okay. Generally, archaeologists are quite honest until they become nice. <laughs> Is it realistically? <laughs> that? Oh, sorry, you meant in you meant in a professional context. I'm yeah, just, I, I meant <laughs> not on a personal. social. <laughs> <laughs> no, never trust an archaeologist. Okay, then out of interest, how dangerous is an archaeological dig in general, depending on the style? If you fall Reasonably, fall into a hole and yeah. break your neck, you die. If you're on your own, yeah. no one can get you any help. If, if you undercut your section by one centimeter at the top and then you're two meters down, it'll be <laughs> it'll <laughs> like fall on that, you, and then it will fall on you, and you will die. Yeah. Okay. Fair uh, but it, it, like even in this guy's situation, if he fell and broke his ankle tripping, getting out of his his pit or whatever there would be no one to help him for miles around. And his and his car would have been, you know, several hundred meters away and that sort of stuff. So it'd have been a bad way. Um, but it turned out that you no one... You make a whole horror film about it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, you wouldn't want to because you'd sympathize with him. Because the reason he was on his own is because he was a racist cunt. Oh. And ah. that is so rare in archaeology because we're taught about culture and all that sort of stuff and you've got to understand things. And we all tend to be like lefty liberal people and the worst you get is like too wishy-washy. I, I've met some quite right-wing people who have tried to use it in the same way that Hitler used it. There is that. That was weird. Yeah. But like generally the education that you get kind yeah. of guards against that or, or means that, that people who are going to interact with you probably are going to push you to the edge of things. And this guy was being pushed to the edge. But he literally took a ranging rod this is, this is one of the anecdotes uh, that one of my, my colleagues gave me uh, who'd worked with him. Uh, he held up a ranging rod. A ranging rod is um, a one or two meter long pole that is colored uh, white, red, white, red. Um, and, and the idea is it's 50 centimeter bits of white and red that you can put next to things as like a scale. All right. <clears throat> so you know exactly how long this thing is so you can put it in a picture and then scale it. And, and archaeologists are always being criticised by people in the press for sending them pictures of ranging rods. <laughs> so we just want a picture of the nice thing. Like, why did you put this thing next to it? So you can see how big it is. Yeah, they want you to hold it or something like that. And you're like, no. no. <laughs> or, stand in, or stand in frame like next to some buildings. Like, no, I'm not going to look like a Charlie. And, uh, but he, he, he stood up and, and just went and he's like holding this thing out uh, with the red to his left. And he, and he went to, to this colleague like, hey, look, white is right. <laughs> I was like, that is not real. <laughs> that is that is unreal. I almost knew someone who called them Polish baby killing sticks. Oh, for fuck's sake! Oh my god! I, I once got reported to the police because I had it in a bag. It's sort of, you, you screw it in, in you unscrew it, and um, yeah. make it in half. And I had this this orange bag, and I was having a coffee at a train station, and a policeman came and tapped me on the shoulder and went, <laughs> "Sir, what have you got in the bag?" I was like, it's a ranging rod. Like, I'm wearing high vis. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, 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 I'm basically hard hat, high vis. I look like a builder. I was just, for our listeners, he looks like an archaeologist. As yeah. all archaeologists <laughs> do, whether you are in your work clothes or not, you always look like an archaeologist. And I still don't know how to take that. And um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe if I took the bad dragon thing out, I could take it better. That no. pack <laughs> tester who was in, came to test all my appliances said, you don't look like a consultant. I've never seen a consultant that looks like you. <laughs> Jesus. I've never invited such a wanker into my own, but there you go. Given, given that the word consultant applies I to a cup of tea. I wish I could, every profession. I, I wanted to take it back. I was like, you know that offer of a cup of tea that I previously gave you? Fuck off. You're staying here until you return it to me via sweat or piss. <laughs> I, I, Get to work. I, I don't really want any of his bodily fluids. Good point. What about his blood in glory slabbered all over you? In a wine glass. <laughs> Just, just marked out like in in eldritch sigils over your face. 
So then, this is basically a very useful white and orange stick episode. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I actually have an archaeology question, and uh, this is something I've wanted to ask an archaeologist for years, and I've just suddenly realised I can ask someone. Um, <laughs> in Stockport, next to where my friends live, there is a patch of land which is... Stockport has no culture. Essentially, <laughs> your answer. it's a Victorian landfill. Yeah. Uh, this patch of grass that's been that's been filled in people kids teenagers usually will kind of like dig up big holes in there because it's a really good source for finding victorian bottles of all various shapes colors and sizes and stuff now they are pretty shitty about the way they do it they just hack into it with like um you know shovels and spades and stuff like that to get Mm. down to the level they need and then they'll maybe then try and be a bit more careful but they they break more than they pull out because of the process now considering basically it's a landfill. Mm-hmm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because predominantly what these people are then doing is then selling them on eBay. It's theft. Yeah. Is it theft? Um, yeah, it is. In terms of Unless they've got permission from the landowner, yeah. which is incredibly unlikely. It, it, something that comes up a lot uh, with like metal detectors and stuff like that is uh. that if, it, it used to be the case on in treasure law yeah. that in Britain that if you found things that qualified as treasure, and there's a technical definition of it, that the finder had some rights to it um, and the landowner had some right to it, uh, but only for the value of it, because the crown owned it, and you would be given a reward. Mm-hmm. It wasn't um, the value of that thing, and we're buying it off you. It's no, it belongs to the queen, and we will reward you for finding it. And it was it was the market value of it, and they would split it. Uh, now, it is the landowners. The landowner owns it, um, and they have absolutely no onus to give it to the queen. It, it is yours. But uh, what you must do is, if you're going to sell it, if you decide to sell it. You must entertain a offer from um, museums first, yeah. and and what they do to incentivize that is they say that there will be a free valuation provided by the crown to tell you what the market value of that thing is in a neutral way. So a third party will come in and value it, and through that valuation process, you record it and you get the information from it. Not as much as if you've been able to get it into a museum and and, and study it for several years, but you get enough information from it that you don't just lose it to the world. And that's really what, what we're after in heritage. So in terms of heritage crime, mm. it's not a huge heritage crime because it's it's a Victorian midden. There's lots of them. Victorian pot bottles and things like that. It's, yeah, who cares? I mean, if they're going down and digging up very old stuff or whatever, then okay, you know. But then how would they know is the mm. thing. Um, but simply because it is rubbish and it's been thrown away, it doesn't mean that no one owns it. Um, that, is a, that is a big misnomer. Um, there is at no point in British law, in the, the the process of throwing garbage away, is it not owned? You tend to find the most valuable medieval stuff at the bottom of um, piles of shit. Literal piles Literal of shit. Literal piles of shit. Stuff that's basically falling off someone They will drop down the their most and... priceless jewellery down the bog. And then they they ain't go going digging for that. If, if, so. Do you remember? Rich, doesn't matter, leave it. In the Doors campaign, when we first went into Kotev and we went into that town, and there was a uh, an altercation in the pub, yes. And someone got binned into a shit pit, yes, into the into the toilet and suffocated in a toilet. Ugh. They got got drowned in the dunny, head first. Yeah. Yes, gong death. When uh, Mike asked about like the layout of that, so like if I dump someone down this, are they just gonna like be you know legs out of this or are they gonna disappear down it kind of thing? Uh, in my head, I was thinking this is a medieval dunny. It's you know mm. it's it's, it's um. It's got this shit pit, and that is going to be accessible from the outside because what people would do is come along and it would 
accrete into a pretty solid mass at the bottom and, and compress and dehydrate at the bottom and essentially sort of compost a little bit. Um, and then it would be dug out and then taken away and spread over fields. And that's why you find these sometimes incredibly valuable things, but more often than not, lots of blue and white china and bits of pottery, um, like strewn all over fields because the shit mingles in and gets used mm. and turned into soil and stuff like that. And, it, uh, and the, the, the non rottable things stick around. So, so yeah, sometimes you do find like someone's best jewellery out there, yeah. or l- lots of costume jewellery. I know someone who was digging a, a latrine shaft, a medieval one, and they found an entire in no pieces missing jug with a really <laughs> fancy glaze on that's obviously then they've obviously gone ah fuck <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> fancy jugs with fancy glazes were very uh, has anyone seen that jug no. No. no no idea what happened to it what's uh, a what's a jug <laughs> <laughs> yeah like it's pretty weird pretty sure they haven't been invented like, yet <laughs> Like like nowadays, like most pottery that we use is quite low value, mm. and so we think pottery is low value. But the difference between an unglazed bit of pot that someone will use as a uh, as a plate or whatever, and one with a bit of glaze on it is three or four weeks' wages. Uh, one with a, a nice bit of glaze on it with a pattern, you're talking a few months. Um, something that is glazed on both sides and maybe is white. You know, the lighter it is, the more more valuable it is. Generally speaking, in the medieval period, and like. Um, God, actual China. No one but a noble. Maybe not even a king. In this country at that time. No. 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 Like, like maybe in the uh, in in like the Holy Roman Empire and and Rome and stuff like that, they might have had some China, like a couple of bits of China, and they'd have brought people in to look at it, like diplomatic people to come and like, hi, king of whatever, come and look at my dish. Let's check out my teacup. <laughs> yeah. Look, you can see the tea. <laughs> you know? Um, so yes, but trade deals, but tea. <laughs> so, um, so okay, swinging this back round to gaming a little bit. Then, in that case, from a uh, archaeological standpoint within games, why do we never get more things like you find a China vase in this dungeon that you spent the last two hours fighting your way through? Is it just simply because people who create these games don't view that thing, that kind of thing, as exciting enough? Whereas it, a bag of gold is... I think a lot of people wouldn't think to include things like that. Yeah, You want weapons and you want armour and you want dungeon-y things, but people don't think that... Yeah, people in the dungeon who are doing terrible things to other people need to eat. But also, um, loot is... is um, When you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, loot mostly nowadays is encumbrance. You don't want it. You want things that are useful to the plot. Um, and... And people think about coinage and stuff like that, and they've got this idea from um, Goonies, basically, where like the coins are big fat things, yeah, um, with with a lot of weight to them. A gold coin in antiquity, firstly, didn't exist. Um, the 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 best you would ever get would be what we'd call electrum in D and D, which is a mix of silver and gold, um, which is where most of the gold, like my wedding ring, is like mostly silver, um, but it looks like gold because it's got enough gold to make it look like that. <clears throat> and a gold coin. A coin with gold in it is so vanishingly rare in antiquity um, that the amount of gold that all humans have dug up in the entire history of mankind would not fill an Olympic swimming pool. Uh, and bear in mind, there's a lot of people doing it for a long time. So, it, you know, there's not a lot to, to go around. So, which is why when we did doors, I, I've made great pains to say you have silver. These mm. are silver coins. But they're also not big things. They're basically like they're, they're slightly thicker foil almost. And then you, you make it even thinner by putting the design in it. You put it between two things and strike it. And it flattens it out a bit more, puts the design in it. And these things are paper thin. 
At uh, certain points in history, you could pay, you could pay half a penny by chopping a penny in half as well. So you find things like half a penny, quarter of a penny, because that's how much it was worth. So you just went... That's how thin yeah. they were. You could, yeah, you, could snap I, them. you could snap them, but you could strike them into... Yeah, you, you, could, you could take then, a knife and cut it. Yeah. So... I've always been a bit kind of it, it's a nice idea, but the same because like people have always talked about kind of have, someone jokes that everything always costs ninety nine p like uh, nineteen ninety nine. You get the ninety nine p coin. So what you do is you have no, you have a ninety nine p coin with a slot in it, so you can put a one p in it to make it to a pound if you want to. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, joking aside, surely though, don't you just then get to the point where you've just got lots of these tiny little fragments floating yeah. around as currency? Yeah. But because it's still got silver in it, it's still worth. Yeah. It's a scribe value. Okay. Yeah, this, this is a thing I don't, I don't think a lot of people get. Coinage is, is a lot lighter than you think it is. But um, loot and stuff like that is what people think about when they think about archaeology. And stuff. But yeah, material culture is where it's at because you don't go into someone's house and then they pull out their wallet to impress you. And if they do, you probably walk out. And historically, that was the case. People didn't really talk about how much they had, even though that was maybe the defining aspect of their life. Like in Rome, if you had a certain amount of money, you got a vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, they, they... <coughs> Bless you. indeed. Me. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't say, "Look how much money I've got." They showed you, <coughs> oh, for God's sake, by doing stuff like. <laughs> Sorry, because <laughs> mon- it's a good time to have really good earphones monitoring this. <laughs> they would show you how much money they had by going, "Here, have this cake made with lots of sugar. Sugar's very expensive." Look how look yeah. how rich I am. So if you're if you're talking about like material culture and stuff, and you want interesting things to look at, look at high status uh, things in archaeology, like like those those things about sugar, that thing about sugar, and, and like um, yeah, fancy glassware for Rome. Yeah, they love their glass. Use of color, for example, the you know white garments and color. And but if you're in a, a world of magic, then you've got to think like through the ages, how has magic evolved? Okay, so it might be. Um, it's not the wispy cloak of invisibility that is the thing that people show off. It is the incredibly clunky kind of wardrobe of invisibility that's on wheels you have to wear <laughs> because the, the the magic couldn't tie itself to something flimsy in those days. And this is the antique, you know, and it's like, and, and I've preserved it here. And look, it still works and blah, blah, blah. And then lo and behold, everything goes to shit and you've got something that might just work if you, you know, and so you've got a bit of jeopardy there. But that's just, that's where these thoughts take you is like, Think about something with a little bit of depth, but then add time depth to it. So one of the things you're talking about in in dungeons is that it's monoculture. People don't put things in there. They don't put um, weird objets d'art in that make no sense. You know, things that uh, it's it's almost like speak for yourself. My dungeon is beautifully decorated. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. I especially like the orphans. So <laughs> you went out well, and killed killed kill their parents herself. They're festive. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's Santa Claus's parents and she killed Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus to make them orphans. Go, go admire the dedication. <laughs> uh, archaeology is like that. That is that is why I think archaeology, archaeology is... is like killing Santa Claus. Exactly. Well, it's, it's starting with the absurd and the thing that makes no sense and making sense of it. The process of archaeology is not the process of digging things up and, and digging sections and making trenches and sieving things and brushing things. That's not what it is. Archaeology is taking the leavings and the crap and the detritus and the unintentional consequences of human existence and trying to figure out what people were thinking. Yeah, it's like what they believed, how how they related to each other, um, what their everyday life was like and what their extraordinary life was like. 
but only from these little esoteric bits of literal rubbish that no one ever intended to be, you know, vessels of knowledge. You know, they, they are not buried to be time capsules. You know, um, they, are, they, they are things that, that people did not, that they must have not thought about. So every hoard that you find, who left it there? So you find a load of treasure, right? Why did someone leave some treasure in that place and then not go back to it? Why is it abandoned? By what process? So we find treasure hoards and things like that in the middle of a field. Maybe someone that maybe that used to be someone's house. Maybe that was like, and all the rest of the house is gone, and all we're left with is the metal in the bottom, like all the wood and whatever in the house that went away, and what left with is the metal that's left in those coins that they buried under their house because someone was going to come and kill them. Um, what if they um, saw some bandits, you know, and uh, immediately you have this, you then have bandits in your world, and you have this thing of like, well, what? Why couldn't they hide it? Why couldn't they save themselves? What? So it's like. Was it Samuel Pepys who buried his parmesan when the yes. Great Fire of London started? Yeah, he had, he had uh, expensive cheese. He thought his house was going to burn down, so he yeah. buried his cheese in his back garden. Nothing else. Parmesan was phenomenally expensive. Yeah. So, really? Yeah, it was worth more than treasure. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hence why he buried it, I suppose. Yeah, he had a good job as well, but it, it's also... It's not just that that is expensive that makes it hard to get hold of. We live in a society where... Um, gratification is instant so long as you have enough zeros in your bank account. Back in the day, sometimes it did not matter how much money you had. You just couldn't get it. It literally would not get there. Um, So pasta, for example, was something that got very popular in the 12th century and then onwards because of the Crusades and things like that. They were passing through those areas where pasta was, was a thing that people ate. And then it was, do you have enough connections in Italy to be able to send someone over and have enough other business to make it worth your while to to send someone to do that trade and bring back this food stuff and you might never eat it you might simply display it you know to own pasta but to never eat it that's just yeah you might not even know how it's Wait. how it's eaten you know you might just have this thing and just like lost the secret of it as far as the 70s i think it was the 70s might have been the 60s oh. swallow <clears throat> Be like a big boy. <laughs> Don't chew in and talk. Oh, sorry, exa- I thought you were starting your own porn. No, sorry. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what it was, but the BBC famously on April Fool's oh, did a news piece yeah, about yeah, the yeah. Italian pasta harvest <laughs> failing. They, they got all this like 50s footage of women picking cooked spaghetti off a tree. It was really funny. Yeah, <laughs> and that is proof that even as late as that, people didn't understand what it was or where it because came from. Because people fell for it as well. Yeah, yeah. They thought yeah it was people real. thought it was true. Um, I love that. I absolutely love past. that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, the past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. Uh, it's one of the great lessons of archaeology. And um, you, you, so you start with, start with something absurd and start with something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And then drill down onto it. And from that one thing, you can extrapolate entire cultures. While we're on um, medieval fantasy worlds and stuff, puzzles, puzzle locks, doors and things that, that, that open with a puzzle. Now, Assassin's Creed. Yes. And Tomb Raider and Sky and every game ever. Uncharted. Hmm. Oh, I like Uncharted. Who built those things and why did they build them like that? They didn't build them to be fun to unlock. They built them to hide something. I assume that game developers build them to be fun to unlock. Yeah. <laughs> or to be bastards. Yeah. Uh, 
and so you, you can take these these ideas of, of okay yes you have this ridiculous thing in your world but now make sense of it it is it's how star wars is good um biddy's gonna twat me in a minute but like the first three star wars without all the, the star wars films are not good films they have no depth there is no exploration in them there is no fleshing out of anything doesn't one of the scenes in the current sorry just to digress doesn't yeah. one of the scenes in the current star wars film actually pass the bechdel test yes which is pretty fucking big for star wars hmm. that's cool yeah um well that said a lot of the prequels did as well Admiral Holdo is Bay, and Generally also talking about men, which still makes it not count. This is a massive, massive spoiler, but Ray's lipstick matches Admiral Holdo's hair. Why is nobody talking about this? Why? Oh, is that why? what you're talking why? about on why? Twitter? I absolutely why? did not notice this at all. What? You're dead to me. <laughs> I, I, I just obsessed with. It. I was like, is that purple lipstick? Which one? It is. This is because I, is. Keep, I keep trying to get him to wear purple lipstick so I think it would suit him, and he won't do it. <laughs> but they match. They match. I'm just obsessed with the idea of Ray and purple lipstick now. Hmm. <laughs> it's a good thing to obsess about. Um, so, like, but but what makes sense of all the Star Wars films uh, previously is that there's 260 novels that fill in all the details that were created by yes. someone making a stupid decision because it looked cool on screen. Yes. Or someone um, like, or, well, let's face it, George Lucas throwing like th- making throwaway okay, statements. Okay. No, no spoiler here. One of the big things. Um, one of the big changes is Luke, when he moves to the third film, has a green lightsaber. And there was this whole, oh, why has he got a green lightsaber? And there was this whole mythology built up around Yeah, his other one got destroyed, he had to make a new one. Did da, da, they da, just da. get the colour wrong? No, it was simply because they were filming in Tunisia, yeah. there was a lot of footage being done with him up against the blue sky mm-hmm. and you couldn't <laughs> see a blue lightsaber so they changed the colour for no other reason than it was practical yeah. and it was only afterwards and then Samuel Jackson says I want a purple lightsaber and then so like another director says wouldn't it be good if there were some uh, yellow ones and there's a cartoon series whatever and suddenly you've got to explain why all these different colours exist and then you do a, um, a, a game and you think well people want to customise their characters in this game so you've got to have more colours and different ways of expressing a lightsaber black lightsaber there is one um, it's called the Dark Saber, uh, and it's a man- Mandalorian thing and there is all sorts of legends and stuff about it because someone thought it was cool. Yeah. And it is cool, that's why I want one. It takes five novels to then explain why this thing exists <laughs> and how it can. And then people look at these films with all this knowledge, this this assumed knowledge, and they're going, that makes perfect sense. But to an outside observer, it makes no sense whatsoever. Absolutely none. It's not supposed to. This is frustratingly uh, one of the reasons why people are having issues with the current film. And I won't go into specifics because Kate here hasn't seen it. I have but, like accidentally read it spoilers I'll forget. <laughs> uh people I'm not gonna cry if you spoil it. People are complaining it. that um you don't get to find out properly who uh Snoke is. Mm-hmm. He plays a big part in the film, he's a very important is part. Is there not of the gonna film, be another film? There is. So there's there's scope for them to still answer these questions. But they, they make it they very clear. They make yeah. it really, really clear. It's not important. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, not so, important. But, and is. people are kind of going, oh, well, we wanted to know who he was and where he came from and what was his history and everything. And, uh, he was he was a MacGuffin. He was the person who got Kylo Ray where he needed to be. I Someone in work was discussing this Ray. and saying it was one of the big disappointments for him and the reason why he didn't like the film. And I said to him, all right, tell me what you know about Elper- Emperor Palpatine. And he goes, oh, well, dude. And he goes, no, 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 no. Based on the original trilogy 
alone. The information that you got out of those films. Yeah, he shows up. He's pretty you bad. You don't even know his name. And yeah. that's about and it, that's yeah. And he goes, oh, well, well first of all, pretty you need to stop calling him Emperor Palpatine because he's never referred to that in the films ever. Yeah. It's only afterwards that that ever even gets mentioned and stuff. So, yeah, it's people are make, kicking this big fuss up about it and it's no different than any of the other ones. Yeah, em- Emperor, that is, the Emperor most turns people's up. problems do seem to be all of Star Wars ever. Hmm. The Emperor turns yeah. up in like in, in one scene in Empire, but as a and hologram. And it's a woman with a um, leftover mask from the Planet of the Apes on. <laughs> because um, the uh, special editions don't exist in my in my world. Hmm. So just, yeah. just putting it out there. So he's there, there's nothing, there's no depth, there's no information, there's no lead into it. Um, you don't know anything about Darth Vader other than he is Luke Skywalker's father and Obi-Wan knew him. And he was a Jedi Knight and a good pilot. And you get the, and you get most of those facts in the first 20 minutes of the first film. And then never again. Yeah, you never really learn anything extra about him. He just is. Given he is so extra. Yeah, bless him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and say, oh no, he's this badass or whatever. You know, it's Boba Fett. He gets all of 30 seconds screen time in all People of the films. People go fucking mental for him. Exactly. He's never in the film. <laughs> but he's got he's loads of books it. and he's got loads of merchandise. Got his own Lego set. I hate to say it, I, I am a massive Boba Fett fan. Just because, because of the books. In, in, more, the, in, the trilo- in the original trilogy, he is bullshit. Yeah, yeah but more than anything else, it's just the coolest armour ever. It is just an amazing Can costume. we talk about how it's not? <laughs> I don't, is, I, don't, okay. I, don't, I don't think as, you can. As armor, <laughs> as armor, it's, it's shite. It is rubbish. As as cosplay, it as cosplay, it's 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 fabulous. As a cool thing. Yeah. As a thing that looks cool, <clears throat> it is a thing that looks cool. As armor, it does not fucking work. If we want to talk about armor that works and is cool, let's fucking talk about phasma, because that it works and it is cool. And when Gren- when Gren- uh, Gren- what tells me that it works as well is that you look at it and there's not many gaps going on. Like it has more of the gaps covered than normal stormtrooper armor. It is a different model. It doesn't have all those gaps and you know. Okay, fair enough. There's supposed to be you know, the equivalent of chainmail type voiders in there. But uh, when Gwendolyn Christie was asked like, what was it like wearing that stuff? She said it was like wearing a car, which is what it's like wearing armor. Like you know, my favorite thing about that armor, it's armor on a woman. She is fully covered, and the armor isn't centralized on her tits. Exactly. There's no boob armor. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like it's so good armor that is worn by someone who's going to fuck up yeah. your day. Yeah. yeah. And it's Gwendolyn Christie. So. And within the <laughs> mythology of the films, it's made out of one of the uh, Naboo spacecraft. You know, the shiny ones from the. Oh, prequels. I see. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's that is it's literally made out of the skin of one of those ships. Oh, I just assumed it was made out of male tears. <laughs> <laughs> Which we all know is silver. <laughs> so one of the things um, that I want to use to sort of focus what we're doing is talk about the big problem, I think, in, in game design, which is monoculture. Now, um, this is something that uh, Quinn Wilson, hi Quinn, um, who does Swallows of the South, and it's fucking amazing what he does, um, is that he looks at culture very much through an anthropological um, language-based kind of approach. Which is different to archaeology. Yes. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although in, in the time... That he, well, it's in America, so America doesn't really make that distinction. But um, I've met an American anthropologist. She did. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in America, an anthropologist can be an archaeologist and an archaeologist can be an anthropologist and it really comes down to the individual and how they want to define themselves. Um, but the work they do is quite different. Um, so uh, Quinn comes at, at, uh, at culture building through... Um, 
a process of kind of trying to make something unique that might reference real world cultures because let's face it they've done the heavy lifting you know they've had the thousands of years of history borrow from that that's fine but then he doesn't want to um seem like he's uh being appropriative mm. so he will uh, change things and modify things and so his setting you think you've got a handle on it you think oh this is um india uh, but fantasy and it's like oh no but this is like sri lanka but fantasy but maybe this is like and it's all over the fucking shop and you're like oh, hang on this that, that's fucking african and like like um but just just ways in which he'll he'll draw bits and pieces and weave them into something pretty coherent mm. And his thing is is that he was saying on Twitter the other day, which is um, he hates monocultures because even if you get people who are uh, a species or whatever, they are separate, whatever, it's like all dwarves are stonemasons. Yeah. Okay, well, what about thatch? What, what about their clothes? They're not all naked dwarves running around. So there is, a, there is at least one fucking seamstress. Do you know what I mean? Nudist dwarf colony. Yes. New dwarf colonies. Angular penises. This is something that always used to Girthy. get me about Star Trek. <laughs> right angled. <laughs> I, I what uh, something that always got me about Star Trek was Klingons. This warrior culture and everything is about war. It's like yeah, but someone's got to build. But then the there's the chef in Deep Space Nine who considers himself a warrior. But is he doing that just to troll everyone? Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah it's an interesting. Maybe he's like the world's most aggressive chef, and he vanquishes <laughs> every fucking meal. <laughs> Roast pork. He's Gordon Ramsay. We we have one of those. He's Gordon Ramsay. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. He's got the forehead as well. Fucking hell. Yeah, he'll just serve it to you at speed. He like loads it into a cannon. Burrito cannon. And like everyone on Frenginar is is uh, is a businessman. Is is in business and whatever. Well, what about artists? You know, uh, why can't you have a Ferengi artist? They must have done because there is design in what they do. That's part yeah. of the business and all that stuff. So design is a thing that they do. Where are the artists? There must be one that just has like a line of bespoke mittens. Like there's there's all this stuff made about Klingon poetry. We never see a Klingon poet. Sorry, my my favourite um, extract from a book, and I've never read the book, but I've only heard the extract, is talking about one of the rules of acquisition for the Ferengi and it's something like the riskier the road the higher the profit and the example they use is Slugger Cola bought the rights to build a road and they basically built the road to spell out Slugger Cola so every <laughs> time everyone was driving on it um, they it would imprint that kind of idea into their head from the movement and everything and apparently it was a fantastic idea apart from the fact that they used to kill everyone because one of the turns was so extreme to like <laughs> dot the eye or something that people would crash off on a daily basis uh, it's just that is is Ferengi culture <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, one of the, the things we got, um, Kurt, who's yes. a long-time listener, um, said uh, his, his thing was, uh, so we didn't get many actual questions. It was more kind of like, oh, well, but then people not knowing what questions to ask. Uh, if a stone ball will seal the dungeon from inside, how did they get it in there? And how did they know it would not be slowed by the tight corridors? That's perfect example. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Perfect, perfect example. Ooh. It makes no sense. Why is it there? They and carved so, it inside. Exactly. It must have been carved yeah. inside, like a Welsh love spoon. Uh, and you can do that. There's a, there's a technique to do that. Is that like, a sex technique, Paul? A Welsh love spoon? How dare you denigrate my culture? <laughs> um, 
uh, a Welsh love spoon is you. you um, oh, it's, is it? It's, the... it's a tradition of giving yeah. a carved spoon as a, as a token of, of love and a betrothment. Um, the, the the engagement ring is quite a new thing. The diamond engagement ring invented by De Beers. Anyway, it was invented by someone who owned a lot of diamonds. Yeah. Yep. So and um, they just plucked the figure of a month's pay. Stupid shine. Three months away. Yeah. Um, and they did lecture tours in the 1900s to convince girls in schools that this is a thing that they should do, be doing. Um, and it worked. So, um, and about the same time was when they convinced women to start shaving their legs and armpits. So that was a the thing they had to do. And they just Yay. made it up. The, the, so I've never been less impressed. In imagine, imagine, if you will, dear listener, uh, a spoon that basically, it's, it's got a spoon uh, like head to it. It's, it's, it's got the, the scoop at the end. Um, but it very quickly widens out and uh, it's like a big square thing. If I Google this, am I going to go on a government list? No, you're fine. And um, what the most common thing is, 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 it used to be just any decorated spoon. They'd just spend a long time carving it. And that was the point is you'd spend time doing this. And it's like, um, it's just the corners of the square that are left. So it's a big hollow square, like a, like a, a hollow um, rectangle. And inside that, that rectangle or that, that cage is a wooden ball. And the only way to, the, the the cage is is not glued together. It's not been separated or whatever. So the only way that it could have got there is if you painstakingly carve the ball inside there. And if you carve it too small, it'll fall out. They're pretty. Yeah. Ooh. <clears throat> and it's 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 just something that is not necessarily hard to do, but it takes a long time to get it right. I want one. <laughs> well, but I don't want to get married. I've got find a yourself a, a nice Welsh boy. I've got a kind of- and <laughs> don't give me that look. Welsh boys are nice. Fuck you. Um, I want to know who the first person. Somebody will have done this. The first person to give a betrothal love spark. <laughs> I want to see that. I want this one with a dragon on it. Yeah, they're, they're incredibly complex now. Is, I might wow. consider marriage for that. Yeah, it's if, an art form. If the woman in question also had her own chainsaw it and is. she'd made it with the chainsaw. <gasps> By the way, it's worth mentioning that uh, lightsabers are essentially a light chainsaw. So <laughs> Natalie Portman <laughs> is basically is swinging around fair. a light chainsaw. I might have considered that before. <laughs> Welsh love spoons are an indigenous art form that has yet to be culturally appropriated by anyone else. Speaking about the cultural appropriation, it, it's a very touchy subject, rightly so, for a number of reasons. But on, to some extent, sometimes you have to think about the culture in question. So, for example, in the news recently, there was a, a case of a woman in, in Canada and her daughter said, I want to have a Japanese tea party. Hmm. And the mother went, well, I, I organise children's parties for a living. I'm sure I'll have no problem organising that. And she went to lots of time, effort, commo- uh, you know, the kimonos yeah yeah kimonos um teapots makeup the the whole thing and because she does it for a business she put it online and loads of people started kicking off about it being cultural appropriation and how dare you were any of those people japanese no an actual japanese person responded yeah yeah, because because they were basically saying they, they were basically yellowing up which in itself is kind of a a very racist thing to imply and they were saying oh well if she's got some Japanese heritage in her blood then it would be okay would it? Like, no, no it's, it's, it's about said, how much I, respect you're paying to the thing I have Japanese heritage in my blood because most of the people in this room probably have a bit of uh, Mongolian in them that's true so so anyway so it's, it's a bit of a that's, weird argument it's not, <clears throat> it's not really it's Japan not, it's not the I know, same but, but, but Japan <laughs> those is, aren't the same cultures no, but the same. we're getting there um, <laughs> are we? We're yes we are no. um, 
Let's see what's through the racist <laughs> Some Japanese people did actually start responding to this, to which point they said, we are very aware of the fact that our entire culture, everything that is considered to be quintessentially Japanese, has come from everywhere else. We nicked all the silks really from China. We fair, nicked yeah. the tea from this place. We nicked tempura from the Portuguese. Um, you know, all these various different things. We are an absolute m- melting pot of cultures that has made us what we are. Our but, nations tend to be, yeah. But more importantly, we love it when people celebrate our culture. We actively encourage people to do these things and have events and, and, and learn about our culture. We love that. Why do we give you kimonos and, and chopsticks and yeah. stuff like that when you come and visit? Because we want to give you our stuff to send out into the world. And if you're, if you're going to have a problem with a kid's tea party, where is your problem with all the fucking mall samurais? Yeah, exactly. It's just, So, yes... Cultural appropriation is a very, very uh, touchy subject, depending on which angle you're coming in from. But but people need to stop using it as a covers all situations things. Yeah, like they need to kid. learn about the culture that they are accusing people of stealing before they accuse them of stealing it. A kid wanting to experience something that happens in another culture and going about that in a pretty cool way. Yeah, is very different from say, you only live twice. <laughs> from you know. The uh, was it the makeup job on? Um, oh dear lord! Sean yeah. Connery on You Only Live Twice. It was just like this is the worst, most racist thing I've seen ever. He, he when, might as this, well be blacked is this up when he did Yellow Face. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's so bad. It's so unbelievable. Like, he might as well have blacked up and is done it as bad Mistel. as the bloke who lives upstairs in Breakfast at Tiffany's? I have not seen that film. Well, then. oh, is he the guy with the really thick glasses? Really, it was horrendously racist. Yeah, <laughs> horrendous. It pretty much created it. it sol- that film solidified that stereotype for years. Yeah, it was awful. But yeah, but yeah. Um, so so um, cultural appropriation is something like that people might worry about if they're looking at putting archaeological things, uh, certainly from from non-Western cultures or from cultures that aren't your own in yeah. it. But like it's. Take something as inspiration. Yeah. And as long as you, you're using it as inspiration, I don't think you can go far wrong. If you're actively pointing fun at it, then you might be going wrong. And to be fair, if you're taking someone's culture and actively pointing fun of it, if it's not something that needs to be done, you're like, um, there's a lot of stuff in our culture that needs to be poked fun at. But like, yeah. if you're taking something that is serious in someone's culture and, and saying, oh, look at this thing, and just the, the comedy comes from, it, because it is weird and foreign, yeah. then you're coming from a bad place and you're a bad person. And you deserve to feel bad. So, but using stuff is fine. And yeah, take the opportunity to to do a bit of research. Make sure that you're not accidentally using like the very sacred burial symbol of a culture that is you know older older than yours or whatever. Or if you are, that's fine as long as it's, <clears throat> it's, as long as you're using it in context. Yeah, yeah I've had people question my Buddhist tattoos because they don't know I'm Buddhist. Well, why have you got that? Do you even know what it means? Actually, yes, I do, and here's a fucking list. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and also, <laughs> um, uh, I gave the finger. That was bad for radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's 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 more about where your hearts are, and like, mm. if if you're the sort of person who's worrying about cultural appropriation, you're probably not the sort of person who's going to be doing it. Yeah, to yeah. be fair, if you're worried about it, yeah, you're starting from a good place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 I think people are, are quite okay with that, and it's uh, it only becomes really a problem if it makes people around your table uncomfortable or if you're putting stuff out there in a podcast or whatever you might be more sensitive to that yeah but it's about knowing the people around you so don't don't worry about it too much because you're probably on the right track but 
um, in terms of creating your cultures and using stuff and all that and all that kind of thing, is we will probably do. We we're just talking about this just now. It would be a fantastic thing, as well as this character shits idea, uh, where we do characters and things like that. Is to start with something stupid that makes no sense and make a culture out of it, and just keep asking the question, but why? But why? But why? Um, and then you start filling in things all over the place. And part of that creating random shit is what you said during the break, which was. Oh, people always think that everything in the past had a purpose and that everything had to be for something and it, nothing was just to be beautiful or to be fun or to be cool. Hmm. Of course they had stuff to be fun and cool and, you know, every day wasn't about grinding fucking grain. And some things just didn't work. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they might have changed their minds halfway through and so it's something else now. For example, everything at... We have, we have a particular site. We have found <laughs> the, the edge of a Roman city. Um, or well, a Roman town. Um, I, no, I th- I think it's like a failed garden town. Yeah. Well, let's build one of these and build one of these, and then we need one of these and we need one of these, but none of them work. So. Oh, it's, it's the end of the season and everyone's left. We'll have a shitty like road and a and shitty yeah. bridge. Woo! Exactly. Um, and let's build this thing. It's really really nice, but oh, the people who've made it have gone, and we don't know how to use it. So. Oh, what's that? The prevailing wind blows the wrong way into the grain dryer, and now there's grain everywhere. Hmm. Uh, it's the weirdest fucking thing in the world but like there's um, a witch buried there that is pretty weird yeah before witches were buried like that <laughs> yeah that is really weird yeah uh, found, uh, was it found a skull with a, a stone in its, it's, its a skull, mouth it had a stone in its mouth which is in, in eastern Europe that's for vampires but over here it's for witches but it also didn't it, I'm sure it had its feet chopped off yeah which is really common for witches in this country and it was on was it a fork in the road no, it was... Oh, uh, it? It's near the crossing point in the river. There you go, yeah. yeah. Which, that's where you bury witches, because if you bury a witch near a, a crossing point with a feet cut off, her soul can't get up and come and find you again. Yeah. It gets stuck at the crossroads, she can't walk away. She doesn't know where to go, and she's got no feet. It, it used to be a thing in America up to very recently. There's a thing on... She um, can't curse you from the grave because of the stone in her mouth. Don't really know how to respond to that, to it's be honest. super cool. I love it. <laughs> The, uh, 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 what do you call it? Um, Project Archivist did a show on deviant burial stuff uh, about crossroads and as well, and uh, so it came up a couple of times. And it's um, crossroads burial used to be used as a punishment yeah. um, after death. Yeah, because your soul gets trapped there. You can't go anywhere else other than the crossroads. Mm. Is that why? Okay, people go I know to the crossroads to meet the devil and stuff yeah. like that. So we Fre- can't frequently it. bury murderers at crossroads as well. I know I'm basing this on things I've seen in games and, and, and films and stuff, but this is why like people get hung at crossroads as well, like on trees and stuff, or is that just... A know? lot of the time, that's because that's where all your foot... Like in uh, gibbets and stuff in chains. Yeah. Yeah, that's because more people would see it. Yeah, there's oh, only okay. one reason you leave a, a body up there is as an object lesson. So... Um, it's why they, they used to the line the Appian Way and stuff like that in Rome, like the crucified bodies. And you're like, well, we're not talking about people up on huge crosses. Ne- people were never crucified like that. Um, it was all like. Are you X's. trying to say that a large part of the Christian church is a fabrication, Paul? Would I ever? <laughs> but the well, the correct iconography for um, the sort of crucifi- cru- uh, cru- sort of crucifixion that would have applied to Jesus had he existed, if that if if that is indeed real, um, or was an event, would be a X shaped. Yeah, like St. Andrew's mm. Cross, yeah. Yeah, and the feet would be very near to the floor. Um, you just sort of be leant back so you can't, like, tip yourself off it or, like, pry yourself off the off the nails. It's unpleasant enough. You don't really need to be 10 feet in the air. By the time you're crucified, you don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, what's that? I'm 10 feet higher than I previously was. That's so much worse. Um... Yeah. The, the fall's not going to do anything to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, um, it's By just the time you fall off, exposure. you're fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. 
you, you see the, the reason they nail you there is so you can't get away and get food and water and stuff. It, that's, you know, but people would come along and give you food and water and things like that, and people might survive crucifixion. And sometimes that was intended, is that you just live with that shit. Yeah, some really fucking good party tricks, though. <laughs> so was it like a you you, you will be crucified for soul, yeah. really you'll be crucified jobs. for ten days and then we'll chop you down. Um, well, chop you down, you know what I mean. Take you down. But that that no that that thing in uh, like Monty Python's Life of Brian was incredibly well researched because they were all Oxford educated. Um, and yeah, the, didn't Terry Jones do history? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so a lot of stuff in there is actually really really accurate. But like, and the jokes were accurate because the guy next to him says, "Oh yeah, my my cousin's going to come along in a couple of days and rescue me." It's like, "Oh, who's rescuing you?" It's like that happened. Yeah, that did genuinely happen because they didn't have the resources to guard people. You know, people didn't go to jail or whatever. They just you're either killed or fined. Um, and they don't give a shit, really. Uh, I forget where we went from that. So the big bugbear is is monoculture um, in your living world, not just your ruins. Because you can research ruins and all that sort of stuff and maybe pick a time period. You know, say, I want to know about castles and forts and things like that. Um, and just start wikiing things and you'll find the difference between a castle and a fort. And, uh, and why there's a difference uh, very, very quickly. So... Um, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day. He said, well, I want a castle in Germany. I said, right, okay. Um, but why are archaeologists going to this castle in Germany? Because castles in Germany are all pretty well known. You know, They're not very old in terms of the general culture. Um, so what about a hill fort? And he went, brilliant. Right, hill fort. I was thinking about that. You know, and So he'd already had those sorts of thoughts, but a castle is the fortified residence of a lord. So you must have those three things. It must be fortified, must be the residence, and it must be a lord. And if it's a prince or a a king that makes it a, a palace. A palace isn't necessarily something fancy. It is the residence of the king or or prince. Um, what if they've only got a queen? Uh, it's still palace. Good. It's the 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 monarch. That's all right then. Uh, I didn't much care about that in the Middle Ages though. Fuck it. Uh, if it's got balls, it can rule. Something. <laughs> so I could have balls. You can have many balls. Yeah. So uh, I'm not holding you back. I'll be the queen now. Thanks. <laughs> uh, and. Um, and so it's like, well, uh, there needs to be a dungeon going on here. Well, okay, you can have a Neolithic chambered tomb underneath your Iron Age hill fort. That, that'd be cool. That'd be absolutely fine. Um, I do not know of a single example of that, but no, it doesn't mean it can't happen. But mm. in the fantasy world. Yeah, or like the <laughs> Cthulhu, <laughs> like uh, real world or whatever, but with a... It's your will to make stuff... And it's just because no one's found that sort of thing and you yeah. can't pull a map that shows exactly what you want illustrated doesn't mean you can't put things together so what to but then you've got time depth yeah so you've got this idea um that it's not just oh this is a tomb in a castle it was built by the same people who built the castle and all that sort of stuff and they were having a cult or something and they, and uh, okay it's all to do with people but no now you've got these thousands of years separated so iron age hill for neolithic chambered tomb let's let's make it a fucking huge neolithic chamber let's make it several put together um, so you can have a good old dungeon crawl underneath this thing. Well, you've got thousands of years that pass. And where were the people, this is following those trails, where were the people who built that tomb? Because that took people to do. And also they had a level of technology that allowed them to build um, devices that could last a thousand years. So why are they not still about flying around in hover cars? Because obviously they were pretty technologically advanced and they would have continued to... Progress. Well, building a chamber tomb isn't that technically advanced. Um, so, so you sort of you, you look at things and go like, well, 
I would love to do a dungeon crawl where you get into the dungeon and you go, find traps, you find traps, uh, you, you stand on the string, it snaps. The uh, the wooden that is... It doesn't work. The wooden trellis <laughs> that is holding up the thing that's supposed to do the thing that connects with the other thing collapses under its own weight because it's rotten through. And just every single step of the way, it's just nothing happens because it's a thousand fucking years old. You, you know when... Um, well, that's another thing I'll get. I'll, I'll talk about this. Yeah. It's a, a, a concept in archaeology called equilibrium. But you know when we we did um, Conyers Caves? Yes. That was that. That was... It was um, uh, sort of, I think it was either goblins or kobolds or whatever that had lived there hundreds of years ago and all died or whatever and this legend built up around whatever. And there were traps that still worked and there were traps that didn't. And you found ones that worked and you found ones that didn't. So there's a thing in archaeology which is called... Wait, which, was, which was Conyers Caves? Uh, that was... It was the one with the uh, the bad West Country accent and... Uh, oh, that is bad. Wait, um, Brian the... The Oxpice. Oh, the that Oxpice, one. Yeah. Right, okay. So, yeah, I want to speak... I want to talk about that one, actually, yeah. yeah. So, um, you can have... Uh, you. You, you. You can have structures um, and quite intricate things in place as long as that environment doesn't change. And as soon as it starts changing, things start degrading. And because of this thing called equilibrium, this is why things get preserved in dirt where you might not think that they would, and like bits of leather, for example. Um, a colleague of ours on a site found a burial uh, in a leather pot, but it was thousands of years old, and it was just under the plough soil of a field with nothing special going on about stuff that would preserve it, just just there. And what happens um, is why you should never buy reclaimed furniture, uh, like reclaimed wood furniture, because uh, it's, oh, this is made out of the, the door of a barn that is you know, uh, 400 years old, and this is made out of the beams of a cathedral that's a 1,000 years old. And like, well, it did okay in that environment, and now you've taken it out of that environment, you've removed its protective layer of... of um, Probably sanded it down 12 times. Exactly. You know, uh, it, it will... The, the various bits of it will kind of get into the groove of what is around it. And so um, the sword, for example, my friends found in, in this fissure, it was rusted to hell, but it hadn't eaten through it. It hadn't completely degraded. In that time, it could have done. Um, but what happened was it, it immediately rusted, and that rust then protected it. Because it's done its reacting, it's done its, its chemical reactions, and it stops. Wood, for example, will end up... Um, it, it gets it feels very hard, but maybe a little bit waxy, and yeah, <laughs> all of that. Um, uh, it might might feel a bit waxy. And what's happened is the pores in that wood have filled up with the dead skin and detritus and all other sorts of filth that accumulates in it in any place, or maybe the soot and all that, all that sort of stuff. And it stops anything acting on the wood inside, so it doesn't rot. Mm. There's no oxygen getting to it. There's no bacteria. There's no, nothing is working on it. And so it won't degrade. You take it out of there and the environment changes. It degrades the protection that it has and then the thing starts rotting. So you go into a dungeon, you're letting new air in, you're letting moisture, um, the moisture content in the air change. You're fucking human yeah. germs in with you. And it doesn't have to be completely dry and all that sort of stuff. All it has to be is stable. And mm. it will get to a point and things will rot away and whatever, but it will get to a point and then things will stop happening. Um, and so you can have these pristine environments or whatever. But if people are coming in and going or whatever, and there is a, there is still a trap there, like it's open to the elements, and you want like a cave bear to be dwelling in this place somewhere, so you know you sort of see bear shit all over the place, it will a have triggered loads of traps if they still mm. um, existed, uh, but b the fact of it being open to the elements and being moved through and the air being churned around and things will have degraded it all. So yeah, you'll find loads of traps that have gone off, you know, or, or have just completely stopped working and aren't ever going to. So Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 
loads of traps everywhere. Mm. Um, lots Perfectly of, functioning. Yeah, but there was a guy living in that environment. Well, let's assume he didn't need to eat and sleep and whatever, but he moved the air around. His breath had moisture in it. He would have changed the environment by being in it. He was you know, like at yeah. Weems when people started going in it from the breath, the mold started going on the these thousands, thousands and thousands of years old cave paintings. Yeah, started growing mold all over them because people were just breathing near them. Because be really careful. Mm. Cave paintings are awesome as well, so fucking look after them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so uh, it's why they haven't yet opened the, the tomb of the, um, the first emperor of China, because there's stuff in there from describing legend, like you know rivers of mercury and whatever. And if you opened it, um, it might all be absolutely pristine. But when you open it, give it thirty seconds. You know what I mean? And it can be that fast. When uh, people were excavating in Vindolanda, like they had a piece like being excavated when we were in there to show us, they sort of took it out, and it was this uh, wooden writing tablet, and it w- it looked like wood with ink on it. Um, you know, it, it was wood coloured mm. and it had ink, ink coloured on it. And as we were looking at it, it changed colour to yeah. completely black, like it had been burnt. Um, and you couldn't see the ink anymore. And that's why they have to scan it with whatever. So they take photos very quickly and then they go and put it under infrared scanners. You've got to and try and blot lift most of them yeah. so that it doesn't actually hit the air at all. And then you take them into special labs and stuff. But yeah, they all end up destroyed. Yeah, and unless you put it in a protective environment, then yeah. there is exactly what you The ones that you can out. actually go and see are really cool. It's, it's worth going, listeners. Go to Finderlander. It's yeah. cool. But this is going to answer a specific question that uh, Rich Howard had. Yeah. Hello, Rich. Uh, Rich Howard is someone who um, uh, he publishes uh, stuff for Tribality. He has um, a show called Whelmed, um, and he is Mr. Underwater Archaeology, or Mr. Underwater uh, Roleplaying. So he's does lots of aquatic adventure things. He's brilliant. Um, if you get a chance That's to see cool. something he's involved in, go. He doesn't have his own role-playing show at the moment, but people are trying desperately to convince him. So uh, Rich said, I want to know all the things about underwater archaeology. So for the next nine hours... Well, I was going to say all of the things. Yeah. Like people do master's degrees in this shit. Yeah. <laughs> but Rich, this is the golden th- the, the golden idea of underwater archaeology. Is firstly, anything you can find on land, you can find underwater because water moves. Okay. Um, the second is, yes, air pockets exist, but they are places where things don't have equilibrium, so they can't necessarily yeah. survive that. Also, so, generally, air pockets go up. Yes. Things go down. Go down. Like a cheap prostitute. Well, I suppose any price <laughs> prostitute, to be fair. That's not a price uh, issue, anyone, is it? Anyone's got a work ethic, yeah. is what he's talking about. So, uh, But when you take things out of the water, they will start to degrade because they've been preserved in equilibrium in that water. The single fastest way to get something to rot away... Is to completely remove it from where you found it? Yeah. I, I put it, I, I would put, if I wanted to hide a body um, in such a way that would get rid of it very quickly and not be suspicious, like buying lots of lye and all that sort of stuff... I'd talk about it on my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would put it in um, the estuary of the River Severn, uh, because it's huge... Uh, it doesn't get explored a lot because there's... Is it tidal? Yes. Uh, it's very tidal. It's got the, the biggest tidal range in the world, I believe. People surf its tide. <laughs> uh, once a year, they get the tidal born. Oh, I was going to say, is that yeah, the that weird wave cool. that goes yeah. all the way up? Yeah, yeah, it goes the wrong way up the river. So um, and people surf for miles and miles and miles on this this thing. But uh, we, we got shown this thing by a forensic archaeologist about what a body looked like uh, having been dumped in the River Severn. It was in the mud. And so when the tide comes up, uh, it's the salt gets to it and all that sort of stuff and the, the action of the waves and the fish are pecking at it um, and then it comes down 
uh, the water, water drains away, and then it's in the sun and it's baking, and you get the birds come along pecking away at it. And then the salt that's in there as well makes it, you know, degrade even faster you know, when it's dry. And it's and it's doing that twice a day. And he showed us this picture, and his speciality was teeth. And he was showing this picture, that, and the teeth were absolutely teeth are awesome. They're so pristine. Cool. They were the most healthy, amazing, smiling teeth I've ever seen. The gums were really pink and healthy and whatever. And everything else around it was this green mess. And you wouldn't have known it was a person unless there were teeth in it. Uh, and the teeth were clean because the, the fish had picked away all the plaque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they just couldn't eat the enamel. So um, they'd done a wonderful job. Uh, but it had been there for a day and a half. A day and a half? A day and a half. Unrecognisable. Because the condition's changing so often and so quickly, it happens really fast. Yeah. And skeletons like need some time to calcify and stuff to preserve. So this thing, had it not been found, would have been completely gone. And the best you'd have got out of it would have been maybe some of the backbones and ribs and things and preserved it yeah, in the mud. Yeah, some of the chunkier bits. Wow. That was, would sink into the mud and get buried. And that's what you'd hope for. Um, and that's where you get a lot of uh, fossils from as well. Because the mud then protects it. It steals an environment and it doesn't change. Yeah. So then those bones that were in there might have been in thousands of years. Um, but you'd find the heels. It essentially becomes anaerobic. Yeah. Um, yes. Science. 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 <laughs> um, so that, that rich is your thing. If you've got things that are in the water and then they get taken out of the water, they're going to degrade pretty damn quickly. I think like the one most people have heard of is the Mary Rose. Mm. They took it out and it immediately started degrading, and so they tried to they they managed to slow it down, and now they found a new way to slow it down, which slows it down more. But it's not in the sea anymore. You can't put it back in the sea; the damage is already done. Mm. And putting it back in the sea would change it again. So, <laughs> but one of the golden rules of of underwater archaeology as well is that if you put something in the ocean, it will be used to colonise. You know, there will be life around it. I mm. find the best rule for underwater archaeology is always have a good oxygen tank. <laughs> and what what they what they do to excavate is because um, you think if you've got a shovel and a and a, and a trowel, it's not going to do you much good underwater. Mm. So they do it with um, very large vacuum hoses. It's it gets scooped up. I don't understand it. why we can't have them on the surface. I yeah. can well vacuum a trench. They've got one that sucks and one that blows. Don't we all, Paul? Don't we all? <laughs> and we're back to that good work ethic. I I, I think my tip for underwater archaeology is um, it's underwater. So fuck that for a game of soldiers. <laughs> yeah. There's so much cool stuff underwater. What I would say, Rich, if you're looking at underwater archaeology, um, I don't want to touch stuff about cultures that live underwater and are like water-dwelling cultures because everything that applies on land applies there, but you can do it in three dimensions and you've got the, the supporting water stuff so you can do different structures. From what I see, lots of people who are using underwater um, uh, cultures and things don't tend to build a lot. They tend to go, oh, right, well, there's a city going on here. And um, they sort of look at it and go, well, how on earth do you build using natural things in the water? And things like, well, surely you just use caves. And, and you know. Well, no, you can do anything underwater. You can do above ground. It's fine. You can even use concrete. Like There's a certain type of concrete that will yeah, set underwater. True. You know, any resource you can get on land, you can get in the sea. Ponies. So, seahorses. Not the same. Kelpies. Uh, I think. I think the big question it not isn't the resource you can you can get the resource underwater because of course obviously you can make it on land and bring it with you. It's how would you make it underwater in the first place? Like for example, I those, I'm having difficulty. those questions haven't been answered because we haven't had to as yeah. a species. It's we in can do stuff above a ground fantasy. Then. Yeah. World. 
you can just say that they they've done do it. They can do things. They can have fucking skyscrapers. You know, they can have, in fact, you could have a skyscraper um, that goes off at odd angles and then returns or whatever. As long as it balances, it's fine. As long as it's not going to fall over. But you've got a lot more leeway because you've got the supporting waters around it. Mm. Um, so you can have things that are a lot more rough, for example, or, you know, um, things a lot more permeable and, you know, uh, have holes in and stuff like that and, and, and are, are, you can pass through them, that sort of stuff. So you, you've got a li- bit more leeway to, to build up. But in terms of if you're looking at it from a land-based point of view and looking at archaeology that was land-based, it's now so, you know, a sub-aqua uh, yeah. environment, I would say the place to look for, for that is absolutely river deltas. In, in, in the real world, uh, there are a lot of buried civilizations. Every time someone finds one, it's fucking Atlantis! Like, no... No God, just fight. Learn another word, Eric von Daniken. Please learn other words than Atlantis and aliens. A report of is it Alexandria in Egypt, where they got all those statues out in the delta? Yeah. Because the way a delta forms is that it's continually eroding and it's continually coming back and then building up banks, and then maybe it might move forward or it might move backwards. So you've got this thing of like you might have these well alexandria does have about five different locations yeah. through time so you've got the one that's buried further back and it keeps moving in one direction they keep moving the port atlantis atlantis yeah so you've got one that's out in in the sea with loads of nice um uh, statues and structures and stuff underneath there but you'll have time to figure it out so as it gets flooded you've got time to rob out all the nice building stone and move it you know and, and go somewhere that's where all the building stone goes that's why we have re- remains that aren't huge walls all, all over the place people take that building stone and use it if you've got a roman fort somewhere and this this is true like hadrian's wall manchester yeah <laughs> if you've got a roman fort people will have taken those stones and used them for their houses and field boundaries and all that sort of stuff there's a, there's a wonderful um uh, fort near hadrian's wall not on it but near it is it Howstuds? No, it's the one where they've got the penis on the wall. Oh, okay. Yeah, I keep forgetting the name of it, but um, uh, a historical penis or a modern penis? Historical penis. Oh, nice. Uh, it is a Roman. Oh, Romans did love the penis. Yeah, they they carve penises everywhere, and they uh, so there's this uh, carved stone. It's about a foot across, and it's got a penis on there. Um, is it Chester's? That's it. There you go. And uh, it's just part of someone's field wall. And someone, you know, obviously found it, looked at it and went, okay, I could put that on the inside of the wall or I could put it on the outside. They put it on the outside where the gate is. <coughs> they used to, you know, use it as a bit of a feature, not knowing that there was a fort next to it. And that's been excavated and it's mm. now open to the public and stuff. They didn't know that time. They just had these stones everywhere. Yeah. It is remarkable how many of the houses and pubs in the Corbridge and Hexham sort of area look remarkably like a Roman wall. Mm. Mm. There is, uh, Lincolnshire has as its symbol, we do a lot of work in Lincolnshire. Has as a symbol uh, the imp, and there's a story about this imp. And, oh, um, is it the, it's in the cathedral, isn't it? Uh, sort of, yeah. There's yeah. A, carving, a carving of the imp in the cathedral. It's a, mod, it's a modern-ish carving. Um, but there's a legend about an imp uh, that, that came down and caused loads of mischief and whatever. And the symbol is this really squat, wide imp. Like, it's got a rugby ball-shaped head, but sideways. It does, actually. Yeah. yeah. It um, looks like Hey Arnold. And it's got, it's got one leg up. And it's supposed to be dancing. So yeah. There's this whole mythology about this dancing imp, and it's it's very squat and it's it doesn't have quite the length of legs. It does, it's, not, it's not human proportioned. Except cut over to um, I think somewhere near Boston, and there's a church that has a carving in it as uh, the keystone of the arch of, of one of its doors, not the main one, but just off the side. Of, I think the is it the chancel, um, and it's a reused stone 
from a Roman temple to Jupiter. And it depicts Jupiter <laughs> on a throne, sat down, and one of the legs is missing because it was chipped off in antiquity. A very, very long time in antiquity. Like, they would never have seen it with two legs. And it is the same outline as the Lincolnshire imp. And I pointed this out, just like in a meeting, and went, have you seen this, by the way, it looks like? Yeah. And... It was just silence, <laughs> stunned silence. Right? This thing's been there. I mean, Boston's not like an unknown place either. It's near Boston. It's not actually, but it's like it's one of the little towns near there. But it's like, still, someone must have fucking known it. Yeah, someone must have seen it and looked at it and whatever. And someone did and came up with a story about this fucking imp. I'll make a cheeky lump out of that. Yeah, that'd be a good story. But because it's like. I don't know why I'm a Cockney, I'm from Lincolnshire. A church, two houses, and a smithy um, in the middle of the wash, which is a, a place no one ever wants to go. It just got lost, and 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 people thought it it can't be. Um, but then this whole culture grew around it. A, a myth grew out about it, you know. And it's it's this carving, and that carving is a two thousand year old piece of stone that's been reused in a one thousand year old building to make a five hundred year old legend. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they make such a big deal about it in Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So I think the moral of this story is is whatever is the iconography of the the ruin the 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 tomb or whatever it is you you are having your questers go through it doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with why it was built in the first place yeah it could be reused absolutely um that is a central tenant in how civilizations build things Mm. um there's a specific thing called a tell uh, which is, um, I believe it's got one L in it rather than two, but it's... it's Oh, like Tel Aviv? Yeah, it's, it, it's like a, a big mound. It's a special mound. kind of constructed hill. Yeah. Uh, you just live there for ages and yeah. knock something and, down and, and build on yeah, top of it. Yeah, your previous layer is like your grandparents' house and you just fucking knock it down and... Uh, Start again. Uh, and, yeah. Fuck it. Uh, 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 fuck it, knock it down. Uh, and you get a funny shaped hill with a big ramp at one side. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of these things exist uh, all over the place, but the golden rule of all things is, if it's somewhere would you, where you would like to use this place either as a ritual thing or as um, a place to live, mm. someone else had that idea as well, and they probably did it. Um, before geophysics and uh, aerial photography and all that sort of stuff, how you found archaeological sites as an archaeologist was you looked around and went, where would I build a house? And that is still <laughs> how you do it. Um, we, it's, it's happened at sites that we've worked on is like go I think it's going to be there and there's nothing to show that it should be there or whatever it's just there's a break of slope there maybe the prevailing winds are, so that would be a nice place to put a house the, you know, the drainage works and it's got a nice view and that's where it is and you look at it and you, you pretend to be a wizard as people look at it you go ah right you were right there but that's how you look and go, mm-hmm. yes I am very wise but it that- would work better if I did have a beard <laughs> but that's, that's how, that's how you some, find things we need to get you some funny felt so it's, it's, works. it is not a coincidence that when we go places and um, developers try and build things, that they mm. find things that were there first. Because human beings, or people with brains, or, or people who are dealing with if it was the a good same place, characteristics yeah. of that place, the topography is the same, the weather is the same. If it was a good place for a house then, it's a good place for a house now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So if you're building, never a tomb, really considered that to be honest. But it goes deeper than that, and people have feelings about places. So um, you look at a place and go, right, look at a cave or something, go, oh, that's that's uh, foreboding weather, and that's because you have houses to go to. But if you're out and about and you need shelter, you look at a cave and go, right, that's quite inviting. Now, uh, thank fuck I found this cave. And uh, that is, you know, people might have dwelt there, they might have buried people there, they might have used it as a ritual thing going on, but you feel creeped out going into a cave. 
it's not automatically homely. And that is why cave dwellings are never quite deep into a cave. They're always quite shallow. And that's not just practical reasons of things. There's no real practical reason. If, if a cave isn't flooded, if it's dry, whatever, there's no reason not to go into the back. Yeah, but that's where the Bell Witch lives. Exactly. That's why you don't go in the back. So we fetishize these places almost as a species, and it's, it plays to what our um, our limitations as a species are. And so people will, will put rituals into those places to normalize them. So you will find... Um, where 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 someone has done some sort of ritual, other people will. And if you're doing like different races in fantasy and whatever, what if you've got dark vision and you can see perfectly in pitch black? A cave is not scary anymore mm. because it has no mystery. And so how you would interact with those things changes and follow that path. That's a good path to follow to think about what would change if you aren't afraid of the dark. But in Lincolnshire, you've got the wash. You've got this big flat area that was a huge wetlands. And then you've got little islands around, and we're talking tiny little things. And some might be 10 yards across, some might be 100 yards, and some might be half a kilometer across. And those would be places people want to stop and camp and do things and while they're hunting. Okay, hunter-gatherer type things like the Mesolithic. And then it'll be, right, okay, well, this is where we stop, so this is where we're going to build a house, so the Neolithic people are settled. And then they go, right, I want to get over there, but I don't want to get in a boat to do it. So they build a causeway and things like that. And so the ends of these causeways, you know, um, then become places where people stop because you don't want to spend too much time on a rickety bridge um, over, a, over a swamp. So you cross. So the ends of those causeways tends to be people where, where people stop and that then gets a little bit fetishized as well. So you've got these safe havens mm-hmm. in this wild landscape. And that's where you start finding bronze axes and spearheads and swords that are bent and broken and deposited there on purpose. And then it becomes not just the end of the, the causeway and the, the interface between the wet and the dry place, it becomes the dry place itself and people start burying things there and people start making things uh, happen there. And then those become where um, much later monasteries would come and put their little cells on so they'd have like one hermit on this thing and then you have to, mm. so they could have a, a level of isolation. And then you build a church there and then because the church is there, then you're going to have... Um, settlements around there. So you have people trying to uh, use those sites. And that's where the towns are now. That's why in Lincolnshire you have spires fucking everywhere because someone built a church on every little bit of dry land they could and then someone came along later, drained the land, made it all livable and people could settle where they wanted but they settled near these churches. Those, those, those foci. And so everything is like that. Everything is like that. No one ever really goes into virgin territory. So if you're going to go somewhere and do something, you are going to find something. Mm. And it can be, I've just described 12,000 years of history. Um, and it didn't take much. I rabbited on, you're all bored. Mm. But it didn't take long to describe that amount of length of time. And it, it, it's taking that idea and just extrapolating it out to your city. I've got a city. It's where you go and get quests. No, you've got a city. It has been occupied for thousands of fucking years because that's what happens in cities. Forden in Kerava, for example, if you ever wanted to go there, there was the option. It's a hill fort. Mm. It's even older than that. It's got uh, it's got standing stones in there and all that sort of thing. Like, it is I love the idea ancient. of some standing stones just being left in the middle of a city. That would be cool. Cardiff. Yeah. Cardiff has standing stones next to the castle. They're real fucking standing oh, stones. Oh, they're real? They are real. <laughs> that's a scheduled monument. You can have a picnic on it. It's great. <laughs> So things don't have to make sense, going back to your point, but mm. then start making sense of them and you end up chasing these things down rabbit holes and it 
adds depth so that when your players are doing things uh, and, and looking around things, you, you know what is around the corner because in your head, you've had that 30 seconds of thought that mm. put 500 years of history into that place. And you went, oh, this is where the smart bit is. This is where the poor bit is because this is where it started. And this is where, you know, this is the new bit. And this makes no sense. Um, the, the starting city that we were in gets sacked by civilians mm. pretty successfully. Do you know why? Because yeah. that's what it does. It is shit. It is not a, not a good place to have a city. It's on a river. There are no real hills around it. It's got a low wall to it that's continually being re, uh, rebuilt because it keeps getting sacked all the time. It doesn't have any naturally defensive positions. It's just in a place that is a good amount of distance away from another place that you need a settlement for people to stop and restock. And uh, it has a civilian in charge. When I told you it's all about nobility and all that sort of stuff, there's a fucking civilian in charge. Because nobility can fuck off and then come back and retake the city. Meanwhile, the civilian has to run the place and gets the blame for losing it. Because they will. Is this like being the patrician of Ankmar Park? Yeah, you're expected to, to, to die okay. and get killed and assassinated or whatever. But that doesn't have to come into it. That just informs me of what I'm going to tell you about this city when you encounter it. That's why I knew that there was a Falberg outside. I didn't have to design it. I just knew it was there. So you save yourself a huge amount of work in drawing maps and all sorts of stuff by just knowing it without having to do the details. Like if you'd have asked me, I want to go to a blacksmith. I know where that blacksmith is. I haven't mapped it out before. I haven't put a dot on a map, so that's where it is. But I know where he is because I know what that city is. Hmm. Likewise, in, in every place you ever went to, like the 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 village that was full of dead people and uh, the ghost and you had that that attack that was actually a real wealth village that I just looked at a map of, map of from first edition ordnance survey like it's about 150 year old map I just for a bit of like a bit of layout looked at it done knew where everything was because I added time depth to it and I went oh this has been here for ages where's the oldest one right why are they all close together right okay it's fine done so with all this in mind then how if you are any genre game D and D Call of Cthulhu Star Wars, whatever. If you want to do a dungeon crawl, but you want to do, and you want them to have that experience, how would you make it different? What would you do to essentially take it out of that, oh, you find a hidden passageway, you go down some stairs, there's stone walls and tripwires. What would you do to make it break out of that mould and be something unique and different? I think in a sci-fi setting, it's really easy because you could essentially do a dungeon crawl on a derelict ship that has been booby-trapped because people are going to be coming back to salvage it and stuff. That's a really easy one. That's one way way sci-fi is is massively not superior, but easier Hmm. than fantasy because you can do high-end tech, low-end tech, and everything in between, and, I think, and I think make it just work. I think sci-fi is easier than fantasy, because people are more willing to put people into their design. Yeah. it's There's a derelict ship, and people are coming back to it. Mm-hmm. There are people there. There's a reason for there to be traps, because it's a derelict ship. There is a reason they're coming back to it. It's a derelict ship. With with the past, it just ends up, there's it, a derelict there. ship. It's just there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like there, oh, there is a dungeon. Why? Uh, okay, someone might have built it. Why did they fucking build it? Think yeah. about that. Like, why didn't they come back to it? So, um, have a think about something you put in a dungeon, and then I'll do this. I'll try and get a brief. pony. Yes, lots of ponies. <laughs> Pit ponies. Pit ponies, ponies everywhere. No pink. <laughs> uh, so pink ponies. Uh, pink pit ponies. How would you know they're pink? They were covered in soot. Because I've got a candle, <laughs> and I stroked one of them. Because it's a pony. Oh, it always pink. Oh. So what? What it's I would magic. do oh. is think about 
Um, why did someone build this dungeon for a start? What was the purpose of it? And that's usually pretty simple. That's the first thing that people think of. Like some, someone built it, and they might just leave it there. So it'll give it a bit of flavor. This is the Tomb of Asarak or whatever. The Tomb of Horrors is built to harvest souls. Mm. It's got this legendary treasure there and all that sort of stuff, and no one ever gets it. So it's this, it's this thing you want to go for. And the idea is that Asarak is this demi-lich who, in order to survive with nobody whatsoever, like he, he's off doing his thing you know, on, on the astral planes or whatever, but he needs souls to feed that. And so it is supposed to be this meat grinder to wear you down and wear you down and wear you down. And at the point at which you think you've won, your soul gets sucked out of your body. There is almost literally no way of winning because it's built. Like there are treasures there to keep you motivated, to keep you moving. Mm. Um, so that if you've survived, you don't just leave, which would be the sensible thing. And this is a fucking death trap. I'm going. It's something to draw you through. And so there is some treasure there and you might see it. You might even like be able to touch it almost. And then something jumps out at you. Um, but it's, it's there to harvest you. And that's why it is the way it is. And that's pretty simple. But, why did someone build this? This is uh, an example I sort of went through with uh, Megan on um, a uh, Megan Dornbrock from um, Modifier podcast. Hello, Megan. Um, <clears throat> and it's an idea that didn't really go anywhere because it was just like, do you want to come and do a show in this and the other? But it just sort of just peached out. And we never managed to do it. But it's it's the puzzle lock. Mm. So why do you build a puzzle lock? Something that you're supposed to sit there and be entertained by in D and D. It's a staple of D and D. The puzzle lock. Who builds a lock that somebody else can figure out? ostensibly if you have a key no one else can get it if they don't have that key yes they might be able to pick that lock but that is not the intention you don't build a lock that is there to be picked because you want someone to be able to get it who can pick locks you build a puzzle lock because you want someone who isn't you and hasn't had contact with you to be able to get it why do you do that the reason i thought of was uh, maybe it's cultural. Maybe it is something that you want only someone of a particular culture to, to be able to get hold of. Kind like, of rite of passage kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Or you want someone who is wise or intelligent or um, strong to, to be able to get this thing that you've hidden behind because that is how it is supposed to be used. Hmm. So yes, you have these tests of intelligence and willpower and all that to make sure that the person who's getting this is of the right caliber. Um, and it might be that you know the alignments, whatever, they're neutral. They don't care if you're good or bad, if you want to use it for good things or evil things, as long as you are intelligent enough to use it in a way that it is intended, mm. yeah, or that you can get the most out of it without destroying the world. Um, but think about why they've done that and why they want to test those things. And the the thing that sort of gave me most excitement to, to actually design was. You have, um, it is cultural. Someone wants someone of a, of a culture to come in and be able to find this repository, this whatever it is behind this door. And so they have um, a big old frieze. They have a, a big sort of carving on a wall and lots of symbols and things like that. And you interpret the symbols and you see that it's a story. And it's a story that anyone in that culture should know. Because the reasoning behind them is if they don't know that story, that culture has died and it is best left. So immediately, that's that's why they left that. You know, this it, it, it could it could be that no one remembers that story, and that's fine. If no one remembers it, no one deserves this thing. Then along comes Lara Croft <laughs> with all her book learning. Yeah, and she fucking opens everything. And it then becomes the opening of that tomb or the opening of that puzzle lock isn't just the next step in your journey. That is the start of your quest. You start there. You've got this story. There is no way to figure out that story from the clues around you. 
so you've got um, this thing that, that then you have to go and you have to do the archaeology and the history and you have to research this thing. You have to find people who might know that story. Um, you have to find the last surviving part, uh, person in that culture who speaks the language to be able to translate it. You um, you you have to uh, find the people who tell those stories. You find, in fact, that it's so old that those stories have gone through so many iterations that you know it was never written down this is the only place it's ever been written down it was, a, it was an oral tradition and so you have to find out not just that one story but several stories and put those things together and so you have a D story that you can play that isn't about go and kill this person it is find this story you have a story about stories i think that's fantastic especially considering that at the, at the time of most fantasy worlds stories like that would have been the only way they were told yeah mm. You didn't write them down because no one could fucking read. Exactly. Uh, you know, even if you do have like you know literate cultures and all that sort of stuff, then it's starting with the thing that makes no sense—a puzzle door that someone can figure out if they have the right bits mm. of information. Why would you ever, ever build that? And it is because you want the right person to get to it, and you do not know that person. That if you knew that person, you would give them the code. You would give them a key. You know, um, it, you know, even if you couldn't physically get to them, you would make sure that there was a way that they could open it and no one else ever could. You know, you'd put a combination lock on it. You would hide it entirely. And so only they knew the location of it. Uh, or you'd have a horrendously complicated lock that no I one think, could ever pick. What if you hid the key inside a puzzle? Okay. I think the one that. that always annoys me is when they kind of go, oh, this is some horrendous, horrible, terrible weapon that can never be used by anyone, so we're going to lock it away behind all these traps and doors and locks and stuff. No, just fucking bury it. Just slab, just after, slab it. after slab after if slab after slab. If you've got something you absolutely <laughs> yeah. do not wish to be used, why didn't you destroy it? Why did they leave it for someone else to find? It is, it is a flaw in every single, oh my god, there's this doom weapon that no one should ever use. Take the fucking plug out, you know, take the thing that makes it work and stamp on it a few times. And don't leave it for someone to recycle it, you know? Don't split it in two and bury it at opposite corners of the earth because some fucker's going to find them both. Yeah, yeah, there's probably some valuable metals in there. You yeah. can make a nice chair out of the, the end piece, you know. The evil chair. Yeah. And, and the rest of it just becomes like, like the my, evil my old makes tripping it comfy. carpentry. Everything else you can't use becomes tea light holders. So. Uh, <laughs> Almost everyone I know has tea light holders. Well, do you have tea yep, light holders? I, yeah. I have one. Yep. <laughs> um, I have one of your tea light holders. In yep. fact, yeah. <laughs> uh, collector's item now. So, um, the, the, yeah, like, but that's what I'm talking about is find something cool, makes no sense, and follow it. And now there is this culture that has an importance on storytelling that isn't around anymore, so it's not easy. Well, it's around to the extent that you as a dungeon master want to make it a challenge or make it all what your story is about or make it what one session is about. Why is it dead? Who killed them? Who came afterwards? Why didn't they find this place? You know, um, why did you hear about this? And yet, because if you've heard about it in Legends, someone has heard about it in Legends many, many, many times before, yeah. and they've picked it fucking clean. Someone maybe, else have done this work. Maybe who else is also trying to figure it exactly. out? Exactly. Yeah. Every every Indiana Jones needs his belluck. You know, uh, it's uh, if 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 you if you have found out about it, you are not special. Someone else has found out about it, so there, there's time pressure, and there's someone else working against you, and you still don't have a thing of go to the you know go to whatever place kill the right person and save the world it is unlock this thing by finding out about this culture and exploring and it's it's like numenera is built around this idea yeah so what would you put in a dungeon to archaeology it up what do you reckon be on the spot right now this is what being a dungeon master is like angelina jolie <laughs> okay cool that's Let's what go i want this. in my dungeon 
So it's a sex dungeon. She plays Lara Croft. It's close enough. But well, okay, that makes <sighs> sense. Cult, uh, a lot of cults are about getting your end away. Let's face it. Yeah, that is fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, you look at the Nazi cults and whatever; they were all about sex. Um, it was about it was sex and power and using uh, eldritch invocations and orgies to generate power. And to be fair, it didn't do very good at actually generating any power. They already had it. They were already powerful people. Uh, they thought this kept them there. Um, but essentially, it was getting your end away with someone else's missus. So you've got rules about you can't just sleep with everyone. So you make a cult that says you can sleep with everyone. Yeah, but but you don't have to create a cult to do that. You just get a large fruit bowl and empty it and throw some keys <laughs> in, keys in, it. in yeah. it. It's a lot simpler. Uh, less people have to be sacrificed. And, um, you know, everyone has a good time. It took us a while to figure this out as a culture. <laughs> That's why we've got cults because people didn't have key parties. If you look at a lot of, if you look at a lot of the problems in history, a vast amount of the problems in history, wars, um, dick based. Yes, yeah. dick based. Well, yeah, they're about that. people putting a dick where it wasn't supposed to be, or wanting to put their dick in something new, and not being allowed to do that in the rules. The Protestant faith, for example, is all about that. Yes, yeah, to be fair, it totally fucking it's is. all it's all about one penis that needed to be in several places. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I want to argue just for the you know sheer shits and giggles of it. I can't. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of a lot of medieval European history is about um, you know I I want to to, to fuck your missus, uh, but I have a missus. So how do we do this? And wars start, um, <clears throat> and and family feuds go on. And it's and it's all about one person wanting to get his dick wet. Okay, so with that in mind... We're deep into my personal philosophy now. So basically, so the, yeah. men ruin everything. That's a, It's a good rule to take. Uh, penises rule everything. Men if, are trash. I would go with a colliery. It's not men. It's men it who listen to their dicks. No, it's men. I don't listen to my dick, and I'm a decent person. Fuck Still you. trash. <laughs> I am trash. All men I'll, are trash. That, that'll go with, I'll go with that. <laughs> This there are grades of trash. Oh, there are, yeah. I you're, not, you're like, you're I'm not like currently the a nicest, shiniest <laughs> trash that there is. It's great. I'm, I'm the discarded wrapper from Christmas. <laughs> there is a whole other trash fire going on somewhere else. <laughs> it's composted somewhere. <laughs> Premier, Premier League football is both sopping wet trash that is horrid, horrid bin water and also on fire. <laughs> that, that's where that goes. Yeah. And somewhere else below that is Geordie Shaw. <laughs> so you really hate that. Show. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, we. So, to be fair, if I watched it, I probably would hate it. It sounds horrible. All of those How shows. How can you watch hate that them. much orange at once? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Bringing it back. So sex dungeon. Well, no. Yeah, I want to ask. Legitimately, how would you make a campaign based around the idea that there's something in this dungeon that you want to fuck? How would you do that as a campaign I that wouldn't, wouldn't just I, I would be shallow and and <laughs> yeah, sex? Well, look know. at mythology. All all of mythology is about that as well. It's about um, people mating and, and that sort of stuff. So, what if? I mean, like the the Bible itself. Adam and Eve had three sons. It's, it's mostly about fucking three male children, especially fucking your own relatives in we, the Bible. We all They're came very from fond of it. this one couple. Okay, I get it. Couple. Let, let's assume there's some genetics going on there. Who had three male children? It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But it was Steve, Steve, it's and Steve. Adam, Steve, Steve, and Steve. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. um, wait, how did Adam and Steve make a baby? Did they adopt it? Yes. Well, they fucked. That's how you get babies. They fucked. 
so yeah, there's, there's, there's something to fuck in this dungeon, right? Okay, yes. well, that could easily be incredibly infantile. And yes, if it was us, it would be. But um, look at American Gods. <gasps> Sex oh, is an act of worship. Yeah. Uh, it's an act of communion as well. And it's about being absorbed into the God or becoming the God. Uh, was it the Efreet uh, passes around people by fucking them? Um, and there's the the lady it's absorbs like it people. It follows where the ghost of someone is passed on by fucking. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Horror is applicable to everything. So, <laughs> especially sex. Um, so sex is horrible. You've got, it's amazing. It can be fucking horrible. <laughs> but there's so there's this idea of of maybe it is communion. Maybe it is if you go, you know that you'll become one with the god. You know, it's a religious quest. Um, it's not going and fucking something. It's going and communing. You know, it's having that congress. That is the basis of a lot of cults. I mean, look at look at how mm. India treats sex um, historically. Again, it's not a monoculture, and it does change through time. But um, the, the, I think the most common way of referring to sex, the, the word actually means uh, congress. It doesn't mean sex, and it's not salacious in any way. It's just about things coming together. Um, that really changes America's political system for me. Yeah. Con- <laughs> Oh, if you if you do not think that Congress is full of orgies, you have not thought hard enough. Oh, I've spent just the amount right, uh, amount of time trying not to think yeah. about that. There is, there is a queue outside the Oval Office. Like, look at how many children Donald Trump has. Oh, <laughs> he's had sex at least that many times, and maybe some of the times they actually let him do it. Definitely not all of them. I think I think you know, one, of, one of the only saving graces for Donald Trump's sex life is most of the people who've had sex with him were immediately asphyxiated during or after. I'm not going to voice. I'm not going to oh, voice. That shouldn't be funny, but it is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought about that long and hard. <laughs> I'm not going to voice my um, true feelings about Donald Trump on anything that's going to go Disney public. An, Just and 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 I'm not Yes, I have. And it looks like they started making Hillary, and halfway through went, "Oh shit, Donald Trump's won." Yeah. <laughs> Claymation face. It's because of Disney. I am not going to say what my true feelings on the subject matter because I want to be able to go to the Star Wars Disney um, park when it opens. And if I say my true feelings, you I might not get let into the United I, States. Yes, basically. Yeah. To be fair, you're on this podcast. You're not getting let into America. <laughs> Probably. No. Um, so I'll, I'll 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 have a word with that wolf. Okay, so this dungeon that you're in, if it's a religious thing, it's probably. Hmm. It's probably reused. People reuse the same sites. So what was there before? Exactly. So what was there before? Sticky. And how did it change? And what is what is left there? So you've got little architectural details you can just like come up with on the fly because there'll be bricked up hallways. There'll be little niches. And it's niche, not niche. Fuck you. Um, everyone in America pronounces it niche. Yeah. Everyone in America is fucking wrong. Yeah, it's niche. And um, we, we named it. Niche. <laughs> Yeah, Nietzsche. Nietzsche. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so outraged. <laughs> yeah. And Nietzsche. Why do they all pronounce Nietzsche wrong? It's a German word. Most of the people in America are descended from German people and can, like, uh, it's, it's in the language, it's in the accent. Why, why yeah, do you pronounce it wrong? They yeah. also can't spell colour, so. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, Don't we have a lot of listeners in America? Yeah. yeah. Should I be nice? All you have to remember is that their, their pronunciation niche. of niche I'm is, not being nice is, about is a very niche uh, pronunciation. It is a very niche pronunciation. Mm. So. Um, uh, it's a public service announcement. It's niche, people, niche. Uh, so um, Niche like quiche. You can have these little things set into walls. You can have things that don't work anymore. You can have yeah. dead ends of things. You can have um, uh, what might be quite common is if you don't need a room anymore, you, you uh, people brick those things up. You think, well, why did they brick it up? It's because you have to heat it. 
Mm. So, um, you know, people will, will close things off, but you'll have a room sealed perfectly because um, they, just, they just bricked it all off and left it because you don't need to fill it full of sand. You don't need to make sure that it, it can't be used. It's, it's a solid thing. You've got a wall. That's fine. Done. So you've got these things and that might have closed off an entire section of this place that um, is now accessible. So um, that might be a, a different way in. It might be that you, you've, you've got to it from a different location or you've snuck in through this defunct place. And now, now that you're trying to be all sneaky, all this wall to break through, how do you do that without disturbing people? And then you've got an interesting puzzle. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got um, in reuse of, of religious things, again, details that add just like little verisimilitude. If you go around Egypt, you'll see that a lot of the penises have been cut off a lot of things and, and, um, and taken off of uh frescoes and things like that uh, and that was done by british people but the faces were taken off by muslims because you're not supposed to show people's you're not supposed to show um people in in art um I, I don't, i'm not sure why but there's, there's a rule about that apparently or is it just people it's not holy people then i think it's people generally but the, but um well it might have been a reinterpretation of that rule at that time yeah so uh, they went around taking all the faces off the hieroglyphs so all the faces and dicks have been taken off hieroglyphs <laughs> Um, and so what if they they reused this place and took the things off it that were uh, anathema to them? So maybe this was a war cult that then got taken over by, you know, love and peace and whatever. And that makes sense. People were, were sick of war. So they said, right, love and peace, everybody became hippies, and now it's this thing that you commune with. So immediately, why does it make sense? Why, 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 why? Do something that makes no sense, that gives you something interesting, flesh it out, and there you've got two cultures hmm. uh, or one culture through time. It doesn't have to be two cultures. It can be one culture um, that just changes. And then there's the, the, the age-old question, why do you know about this and someone else doesn't? Why did you have to sneak in? Is it still being used? Is it, you know, what? Because I solved the sexy puzzle lock. Hmm. And you have to solve the puzzle lock by snailing it. <sighs> Jeez. There is... Um... <laughs> You're just disappointed, aren't you? Yeah, You're a angry. little bit. <laughs> um, there was a natural... Um... There is a natural uh, desire for for these things to happen because uh, in the unaired um, inspectors cockthulu cock episode, which might get aired, which might get aired, somebody ever edits it. Um, there is a scene. I've been busy working my soul to death. Yeah, <laughs> you're unemployed now. You have no excuse. Mm. But yeah, there's a scene in that which is in a basement in a place where I, I can guarantee you a basement doesn't exist because I, I've been to a lot of these places. Supermarket, basically. Hmm. Supermarkets do not have basements, pretty much. They might have a flight of stairs going down to a room with some boilers and stuff in, but even that's a bit rare. Yeah, the storerooms generally need to be driven up to. So Yeah, exactly. So, so, so we put one in, and everything that I've ever played in Call of Cthulhu... By the way, we're not scared of things with tentacles. Uh, we're not scared of things that are scaly and monstrous or dragony and stuff. We're scared of old women in our campaign, because there's never been a situation where we've gone round to someone's house and an old woman has been present that hasn't ended in us all nearly dying. <laughs> and we... Um, it's worth mentioning as well that, that, that our... our motif is burning the place down and we have slowly upgraded from burning the place down with petrol to basically carrying dynamite around with us at all times. It makes perfect sense to call it filler. <laughs> yeah. Just feeling an old lady. Dynamite. Ser- no, I'm not joking. Last last time we came across one, uh, she was just brainwashed and was utterly innocent, but we all backed the fuck up. Wouldn't th- go I near think, her. We had hands in pockets have, have on weapons. Issues. Please help me. I'm just a lovely little old lady. No. Because that's, that's happened 
in a couple of scenarios that Joe's run, and these mm. are all like pre-written scenarios that he then adapts. And it, yeah, it's old ladies. Yeah. If you if you've got two old ladies living in a house together, holy whoa, fuck. fucking betide. Yeah. It'll yeah. all go Although, a bit. What happened to Baby Jane? We did something very <laughs> yeah. impressive in that we uh, one of the classic stories because it's the mask of. Um, hope, um, yeah, left that's what yeah. I can never say it. Um, and, and in one of the sub things, when you're in Britain, you can basically go to Derbyshire and go to. Um, uh, Why would everyone, anyone ever go to Derbyshire? Because it's nice, and it's and it's and it's a place that a uh, little b- bottom of Jacob's Ladder, real place, up in Derbyshire near Glossop, over Tunnel. I know what you're talking about, and I can't can't. I can't think what it's called. No one cares. Edel. You go to Little Edale in, in the thing and everything, and it's it's all about werewolves and stuff. And we we concluded that a bit of the story with negotiation. Mm. We concluded that story with no violence, and and it was all amicable. And it was and our DM was like, I've been I've been playing that campaign for about twenty years, and that's the first time the werewolf hasn't died. And then a little lady comes and you shoot in the face. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but yeah, the but again, though, is ripped open from within, and a little old lady called Ruth jumps out. But again, though, oh, fuck that yeah, was yeah, that 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 involved quite heavily a house with a basement. Hmm. And houses in England don't generally have basements. I know, but but they it's just a a staple of scary storytelling that you know. So they run down into the basement, in like back to back, like yeah. Simultaneously, really poor housing and really rich housing. Because yeah. really poor housing, you get as many rooms in as you can. And then really rich housing, you want a cold place to... You get as many rooms in as you can, making yep. that specific yep. motion. Yep. I'm going to wank off the developer <laughs> to build me more rooms. <laughs> and his penis is quite long, apparently. It's huge. Long, it's like three foot long. long. Do if we were to soundbite this entire episode, I'm pretty sure we could dub over a, a porn video quite effectively. <laughs> that is an impressive penis. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's another podcast we'll have to make um, badly dubbed porn spindly. yeah yeah um, so what yeah, the fuck was I saying uh, basements um, basements yeah, yes. yeah and then you get them in really fancy places because they want cold places to keep their yeah fancy food it's it's something I think and a lot of white. writers and uh, RPG writers hell. in America don't get <laughs> is that um, that's what attic's for uh, it, yes subterranean things in America are quite common to have as a livable space mm. Um, and in Germany, that is also quite common. I think it's it's because of the German settlers there that became a thing that they wanted to do in America. In most other parts of Europe, uh, even where things are conducive to uh, building subterranean stuff, where you've got low water table, you've got good rock, that sort of stuff, they still don't um, because you can't get light in. Um, it's cold. And, and unless you want cold. It's full of spiders. Yeah. No. And in the case of our student house in the second second the second year of university you will find attached to a pipe a pair of handcuffs and in the same room a hammer <laughs> nice it was, oh, it was so scary down there it was horrible I, if, was if, I, if I was in that sort of the situation as a student I though I would have I, on my last day there I would have hidden stuff there that made that looked fucked up I kind of it was already that, fucked up we didn't need to make that more fucked up Do you know what? Uh, the, <laughs> the, the I mean basement, I think someone did that to you <laughs> uh, the, the basement that you're currently sat over at the minute is just an ex explosion of cat shit waiting to happen <laughs> because um, uh, during kind of like cold times of the year when we don't want to let her out and she's got a bit of a semi-collapse lung as well so we really don't like her being out overnight and everything we just let her go down to the basement and there's a little hatch that leads into literally underneath the foundations of the, the house and stuff and it kind of goes out underneath the patio and stuff like that and she just disappears under there and, and has a shit and has been doing so for the last 14 years that is a lot of cat shit. Even just yeah. for one cat, that is a lot. That is an awful lot. And it's absolutely fine 
until the rare days when the wind is blowing from an easterly direction or whichever direction it is and the wind comes down somehow through the cracks of the earth through this cavern where she goes into and just permeates the basement with the overpowering smell of cat shit. <laughs> through her shit palace. Oh my god, it is horrific. God, can we please call the episode Shit Palace? Please. Christmas Shit Palace. Yes. So, so you will have a happy jolly time in the shit So yeah, palace. it is isn't. so just there you go. there's some inspiration for you. If you want to truly utterly brutalise your players, make them play in the cat shit underground hell. So, uh, I think I could work that into Act on Cthulhu, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're talking about Cthulhu. Yes. Uh, we're, we're overrunning a lot, but I've got nowhere to be, so that's fine. Uh, I'm already up. home, yeah. so... Um, what? I just so, thought this was just some house that we'd found. That I'm overly familiar with its basement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Terrorised his family. You've secretly filled someone else's basement with cat <laughs> Go on, cat. That's a great place to go for a poop. So um, Call of Cthulhu uses a lot of real-world archaeology. Yes. So... Um, like as in actual archaeological process, mm. right? So it's it's then that thing of like, well, you don't have to know. Um, so one of the one of the, the people I've, I've been talking to, um, uh, I'll chat him out. Shimin Beg uh, on Twitter uh, has reached out and sort of asked, oh yeah, I want to do this campaign, but there's a lot of archaeology in it, and some of the people I run the game with are either archaeologists themselves, and don't want to spoil it for you know by asking the questions, and but I don't know what really to to drill it on or whatever so cast dry over it so I had a look and I'm not going to spoil it just in case any of his um, folks are listening what questions you need to ask you don't need to know how archaeology works you can get it wrong it's fine you know what I mean I, I can enjoy things on TV that aren't you know factually correct however if the story is good yeah to be honest, and as long as they don't pertain to be factually accurate yeah, if I don't it's, care. Yeah. it's when they start going this is documentary yeah um, no. this is found footage and blah, yeah. yeah no this uh, is based on a true story so you know like Indiana Jones is fine do you know what I mean it's, it is absolutely fine because it's got this element of supernatural in it and okay, right, whatever uh, it, you don't necessarily know what need to know how, how everything works in archaeology you don't, you don't need to know what tools they have you, just enough to make it okay you know so it's, it's not too bad um, so the thing that everyone forgets about archaeology is it's about recording things mm. if you're in the 1920s and uh, Call of Cthulhu and all that sort of stuff. It was about shipping it over to England as quickly yes. as possible. So, in that time, we have this changeover between the idea of antiquarianism, which is looting everything, and going, "Oh, isn't this interesting? Look at this." Isn't yeah, that and jolly? antiquarianism is is a fancy word way of saying just fucking stealing everything. Yeah, grave robbing and and all that sort of just and not really caring about where it came from, but look at the shiny thing. That's what they cared about. They didn't really care about getting all the lo- lots of little bits of pot and things that weren't whole or things that weren't obviously you know interesting. Um, <clears throat> so they left a lot of that, and that was good because had they been interested in those and just shipped those out, that we'd have lost a lot of information. But you have this thing um, in the early part of the the twentieth century, in sort of nineteen hundred onward, called processualism, and that's where they wanted to find out the process by which things happened. Um, and that's where you got lots of uh, typology where they started naming absolutely fucking everything and why we call a um, a sword, an arming sword, a long sword, a bastard sword, whereas in the past they'd just call it a sword. A bastard sword? Obsession with naming What's a things. Bastard sword? It's uh, Is nowadays it just it's for a killing hand bastards? and a half sword. 
If it's a nice person, will it not hurt them? It's a single-handed sword blade with a hand, a, a, a handle you can get um, two hands on without any extra space. That's not as cool as I thought it would be. Yeah. So uh, like it's not me- as useless like many as swords. Ours. Yeah. <coughs> swords are cool, fuck you. So, um, no, they are, Jay- but the name's always like, Bastard Sword sounds utterly awesome. It's mm. just a two-handed sword. Yeah, because it wasn't, no, it wasn't a two-handed sword and it wasn't a single-handed sword. It was, yeah. I thought it was a bastard of the two. So, um, but anyway, uh, but back in the day, they just called it a sword. But it's this—it's in this period that we started naming everything, and you know, um, you know, Darwin's origin of the species being fairly new at that time as well, and like that kind of that idea of, of taxonomy and, and naming things, is, and, and people obsessed with naming things, um, and that's why a lot of people tried to make discoveries because you got to put your name on it. You know, that's, that, there's prestige there. That's something you want to think about in archaeology is. Um, you've got this tension now between people who want to ship everything out and people who want to understand things. They still want to ship it out and make money, but they want to be able to tie a story to it because it's the story that makes the money. Mm. If I've got a handful of nails and give it to you and go, they're Roman nails, and I, I know that by the, how they're made, then they're worth 50p a piece. If I give you um, that nail and say, that is from Inch Tothill, it's a Roman fort, and it was um, built in this year, and I know that, and I know this. the reason that this was buried and found there was because um, they all booked out and buried these nails so to deny the iron to the local picks because they couldn't take it with them. They had time to dismantle the thing, but they just, right, get rid of it. That's now worth 30 quid because it's a story. It has a provenance. The patch of soil that it came from is important. Um, and it ties with other things. And that's what archaeology is, is coming up with a story to explain these 20,000 shards of pottery you found on your site, which none of which are valuable in any monetary sense, but you put them all together and they're very valuable because they have this story that they make. You know, in a weird way, the, the modern world um, analogue of this is film props. If you hand someone a briefcase, it's a briefcase. If you hand someone a briefcase with a certificate authenticating that it was the briefcase mm. used in Pulp Fiction, all of a sudden, fucking hell, it's a briefcase. So what is the valuable thing in that transaction? It's the piece of paper. Yeah. It's only in the briefcase, opening it, and finally seeing what the fuck was inside. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I think according to Quentin Tarantino, it was whatever you wanted inside it. Yeah, that's a bullshit answer, yeah. Quentin. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. What questions do you need to ask about the archaeology that's going on? Firstly, um, Google the history of archaeology. And you'll get a wiki page that shows you how archaeology has changed. Find your date and find, and there will be something interesting that happened yeah. near your date. I was yes. talking to Joe from Harry Roll. He, uh, he was, he's got a thing set in 1925. Well, in 1923, they found Tutankhamun in the Valley of the Kings where they thought it was absolutely robbed out and nothing was ever going to be found there. And they found this, the most impressive tomb of all time. And then everyone died. Yeah. And they'd had one death by then. Maybe two, wasn't it? They had I one on site. it was site. two within a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and people people started dying. And people started believing in curses again. And it's like, yes, brilliant. Um, and people go, all right, well, these cults and all that sort of stuff. And we're back to the sex dungeons and things. People in like the eighteen eighteen fifties onwards um, started forming cults all the time, mystic cults. Yeah, the the belief in a very strong magical presence in the world made a massive resurgence. It was Absolutely. Very str- yeah. After moving forward with science for so long, we just suddenly went, ah, pixies, woo! And I think it was a reaction against. Yeah. science prevailing mm. and people wanted magic in the world and it's this uh, i think it's the same drive that uh, puts people in in the flat earth society it's like they want to be anti-intellectual they want like, that to be mystic uh the very original horror stories all victorian because 
that's what they want. They wanted to believe that there were spirits wandering around from yeah, the past. Yeah, we, we were removing the mystery yeah. from the world, and they wanted the mystery back because yeah. there is a part of your brain that specifically stuff. needs that. Yeah. But I love horror. I love horror. I love the idea that there's this whole mm. part of the world that we don't understand. Because mm. there's, to be fair, there's also the ocean. We know less about the ocean than we do about space. That's fucking insane. The ocean well. is right here. <laughs> space is all the way out there. The ocean is right here. You are closer to space now than you are to an ocean. Oh, speaking of which, did you... Not in my heart, I'm not. <laughs> Space is twenty miles away. My heart did is you, with the ocean always. Did you hear space about London? Did you hear about I one, and its and its um, name that I cannot pronounce, which was the intergalactic object that floated through our oh, star yeah, system? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're totally trying amazing. to ping it and stuff. And, yeah, this and, is and weird. It's, it's the fact that they've done uh, spectrology on it, shot a laser up on it to try and figure out what it's made of, and they've gone, oh, it's not made of ice. That was that's a bit unexpected, and it seems to have a red surface on it, but it's not really rock. Uh, the current thinking is they're not sure, but they're kind of edging this way that it is covered in some kind of organic material because that's the signal that's coming back from this laser. Mm. No, they're not necessarily Disclaimer, organic doesn't necessarily mean having been alive. Yes, they're not. So it could be like yeah, from primordial poop. soup kind of organic it's kind covered of in material. Alien poop. But yeah. It's a poop rock. Just... Their culture uses poop. It's rocks. a singing poop. It's a singing poop. Oh my god! It's yeah. a singing poop. Uh, for, for for this this actually really irritates me, and and I don't know why it's stuck it's stuck in my head since like GCSEs, yeah. like well high school for American listeners, is organic just means it's got carbon in it. That's all organic means. It does not mean that it's based on life. It doesn't. We have organic means it life. costs twenty percent more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that really irritates me. People go, oh, this is organic. Oh, this must be life. No, no, like petrol is organic. Yeah, like. Uh, it's carbon molecules. Like that, there are compounds out there that we create that have nothing to do with life that are organic. I kind of hate the way in which um, all the various news agencies are just latching onto it and then picking up on the wrong things. And, My like, phone making, has organic. Making bits, isn't it? classic, uh, broad sweeping statements like "This is the first thing that has ever visited us." It's like, no, no, this is the first not. thing we've yeah. discovered that's visited us. Mm. I'm pretty like, sure lots of other things the, have done as well. The chances of us finding this one thing were pretty fucking slim. Mm. We're dumb. <laughs> we can't see very. We're like a, a stupid, blind old man I was saying fumbling that, around in space, going with there, his penis. There, there. <laughs> Actually, the, the telescope, oh, the, glory hole. the telescope that <laughs> discovered it is being replaced next year by a new one, which is going to be fourteen times better. Awesome. So we should be able to spot these things a bit better this. So it'll be ne- three blobs and not two. Yeah. Laser surgery. Yeah. So um, anyway. Right, so, uh, so what what questions are you going to ask to make archaeology interesting if you don't know about archaeology? I think to some extent you need to ask your DM, uh, especially with Call of Cthulhu. Uh, for example, uh, we're now in Egypt, and I turned around to my DM uh, and said, look, there's a absolutely beautiful and authentic, from the period, 1920s, street map of Egypt. It's gorgeous, and it's 100% accurate. It is what Egypt looked like in the 1920s. Would it be useful for your campaign if I printed that off so we could use it to locate things? And he went, yeah, brilliant, go for it. Hmm. Whereas you, for example, Paul, I'm pointing out here because I remember we were on a podcast. Because now your DM has to know that map. Yes. Um, So I think, yeah, chatting to your DM and finding out how much they're actually going to be working to yeah. reality yeah, it, is probably not a bad thing. it makes you storytelling different using yeah. a historically accurate map. But the reason I don't do that is not because I don't want to learn the map, because to be fair, I look at maps all the time, and if I want to remember that map, um, uh, the, the, the town you went into in um, 
uh, in, well, Middlevoss, the, the place you went, um, where you first found the cult proper. Mm. That was an actual town. Um, I believe it was 14th century Stafford. And I knew that road layout backwards and forwards. I decided where everything was in there. And without looking at it, I could picture yeah. it in my head perfectly. But, but I you, still didn't want to yeah. give you a map. Yeah. Because what my thought is, and I've said this many times, is I don't want you looking at the table. I want you looking at each other. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's, 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 it's bar room theory. If you're sat looking at your drinks, you'll drink more. And that's why people give you uncomfortable chairs and loud music and you know, um, tables that don't necessarily you know, be in the right place for you. Um, whereas if you're sat in a comfortable chair looking at each other and your, your pint is kind of like in eyeline or whatever, you can look at each other and your drink and things like that. And it's all, all the things that you are there for in this or in that same space. If you're looking down, that's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but using real-world things and bringing stuff in, if I haven't thought of it, and it sounds cool, yeah, fucking hell, it's wrong with that. Carlo Cthulhu is actually very good for this. For example, um, it provides you with a lot of material in the book that it specifically says, photocopy this, cut it out, give it to the players. And it is stuff like photographs, newspaper clippings, um, kind of like, you know, examples of like a letter that somebody sent to someone and stuff. Action Cthulhu is really good for yeah, little snippet, we, snippets like that Yeah, Joe, well, Joe yeah. does that and he has, he has someone read it out yeah. to go through it. We literally have a portfolio now full of all these things with like everything number coded so we can like match it up with other things and we have... That is massively a left we have, like a year long campaign. Yeah, we have a, a, a mind chart with with um, with all these various different people and stuff, you know, like a brainstorming kind of like thing, but you know, keeping track of everything, because there's absolutely no way you'd be able to do it otherwise. Mm. There's so much information; it's insane. But if you're thinking of using archaeology in your campaign and yeah. you want it as something that is going to happen, and maybe some of your characters are archaeologists, uh, you need to know. Don't there... pronounce it archaeologist. Yes, uh, otherwise I will come to your house and I will take your kneecaps and insert them into your ocular cavities. <laughs> That'd be fun. We just like whole bone face. Um, so um, that was interesting. There are two kinds of archaeologists. There is the kind of archaeologist um, who hasn't specialised and has esoteric knowledge about absolutely fucking everything. That is the kind of archaeologist I am. It's the kind of archaeologist Kate is. Uh, we just have to know about everything to a small degree so that we can figure out what's put in front of us. What Paul's trying to say is, I'm super smart. Yeah. And is the other variety... <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I'm, I'm going to big Kate up. You are really good at your job. And it, the, the reason is because you have enough knowledge that you can apply to things that you don't know to figure them out. And that is why archaeologists are kind of a broken character class in Call of Cthulhu, because um, it's built to be non-specialist. It's built to be that that wide-ranging lots of different skills from all over the place. But the other kind of archaeologist is the specialist, and the specialist knows only about their thing. They've forgotten about everything else. And they're Angelina Jolie in a wetsuit. I wish. So uh, The English Heritage Brick Specialist was not Angelina Jolie in a wetsuit. But she's... Very upsetting. She's a journalist. Lara Croft is a journalist. Like she's She's basically an acrobat with some knowledge. But... She's so bendy. (laughs) (laughs) Bendiness is usefulness in archaeology. So the it's awful in archaeology. I'm super bendy, and it's been nothing but a detriment to me. Um, So, like, well, physical fitness is a thing because it is a physical job to do the digging, and it ruins you. So, if you're young, you're probably going to be fit and capable, all that sort of stuff. If you're old and you're still in the field, you're going to be broken as fuck. I'm 26. I've got arthritis in both knees. I have arthritis in the knee um, and back problems, and I barely got in the field. 
uh, field work destroys you at a fundamental level because you can't dig things in a way that is good for your body because doing digging things in a way that's good for your body is bad for the archaeology. You don't get the right angles. You don't get the right sensitivity and control. Um, and you can't do things fast enough to be commercial. So um, you get bad backs, you get bad knees, you're doing it in all weathers and all that sort of stuff. Um, even if you're doing Kushti research digs, which is what it always is in, Ar- in Kuala mm. Cthulhu, because no one understands how archaeology works outside of a research dig. Yeah, I get that, that's fine. Commerci- uh, developer-led commercial archaeology is difficult to understand. Also, to be fair, if a lot of the campaigns are set in sort of the 1920s, it, it, that's what it was. Yeah. You didn't do commercial archaeology. Yeah. Nowadays, you could have your antagonist as your developer who wants to get on site, and there have literally been <laughs> oh cases gosh. where be amazing. the time has run out... The work is still not complete, and the archaeologists are chased off site by machine excavators, and they would literally be killed if they didn't move. Uh, people have been physically taken off the site, carried off the site, and assaulted to be done so. You know, to you know, don't you know, desert your post kind of thing. Um, and, and people have been lifted out. Then this has been like in the last ten years. We had, we had a farmer come out and uh, spread shit all over his field while we were still digging to get us to leave. Yeah, I've had people, um, a, a farmer driving up and down um, his field across the trenches. Yeah. And if you were in it, you were in it. Yeah, we had one that tried to backfill me into a ditch because <laughs> he didn't see us at the bottom. Yeah, I've I've had um, crusties come up to me. I was doing a watching brief, which is where they're doing the direct excavation and you just stop them every once in a while and go, oh, I'll have to look around this rather than going in well beforehand yeah. and clearing the site. Um, and I've had crusties properly face off to me to the point where I'm sitting there going, are you serious? Am I going to have to do something here? Um, and then they obviously, they'll, they'll apologize to me afterwards. Who's a Krusty? Krusty's a um, construction engineer. Ah. <laughs> uh, people have been doing it a long time and don't give a fuck. Uh, so I think it was like they were, they were pulling a, a, a Victorian telegraph pole out of the ground and thought it was a tree. And I was just like, no, I need to I have a look at this. And it was literally was like squaring up to me, like you're not going to delay my project, blah, blah, blah. And I went, you need to get out of my face now and explain to me what kind of tree has a lightning rod and tar on it. <laughs> and he was like, a special uh, one that God made. But he was about to—he was about to fucking lamp me. And but that, so you can have these these antagonists. You can have the evil developer who wants to excavate this area, or whatever. And you've got to stop them doing it. Why do they want to get rid of this archaeological site? Maybe it's—it's it's not just because they want to develop; it's because they want to get rid of this thing. Maybe they want to destroy the thing there so they can use they it. Know the that. You know what? what yeah. What you're exactly. dis- what you're describing there actually sounds like the startings of a pretty epic board game. It sounds like a bit of the Dark Tower, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 w- I would love to make it as a board game, but I'd be role-playing my real life, and that's really depressing. Yeah, that would be too depressing. Yeah. Um, it's there to be made, but not by me. I'd consult on it for a massive fee. There you go. So the, there's two kinds of archaeologists, really. There's there's, there's, there's the generalist. As, as a PC, there's the generalist and there's the specialist. The specialist has a very esoteric knowledge, but has... Uh, and, and in very specific situations and whatever, so that they are like power gamed into one direction. But they will have forgotten almost everything else they previously knew about archaeology before yeah. they started specialising, because they don't need to know. It in anymore. Indiana Jones, Indiana is is the generalist, and Marcus is the specialist. Mm. Uh, but Marcus is useful because he can do the thing. So it's like so, some of it is about getting Marcus to the place so he can do his his stuff to it whereas Indy would have no chance so yeah you've you've got that that dynamic you've got the type of archaeologist through time so you've got the people who just want to loot the people who want to understand and the people who want to empathize who are like the hippy dippy ones in the 1970s and 80s and you've got the current ones who are archaeology is cool um get out my face hippie go squids yeah archaeology is really cool but I've got a road to build as well so uh, practical um go squids 
or archaeology is cool, but I'd also like to be able to eat and maybe have a house one day. <laughs> you're an archaeologist, you will never own a house. Yeah. Um, the one constant is that your um, book collection should always be more valuable than your car. So, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Uh, so the, no, I'm okay, yeah. 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 <sighs> Just did a quick audit, yeah. Um, uh, I'll qualify your equity in your car, because you're never going to own it outright, ever. That's, that's a dream. So, archaeologists are almost always skint or debutantes. You know, there, there's almost no like in-between phase. We are okay generally because we're consultants and we work for design companies and we're paid pretty well as archaeologists. For archaeologists. For archaeologists, yeah. I, I mean, as a field archaeologist, you're looking at maximum top of the food, food chain, 18 grand a year. Yeah, that's it's, about it's, it. that, it's And that's peanuts. like the best case scenario. You've really fucking looked out. You've really pushed for your pay rises and you've got a good company. Be 25 grand in America, maybe. Like 20, 25 grand oh, somewhere yeah, sorry. Like. I don't know how to convert stuff. Um, something like that. But yeah, you're talking like not a lot of money, like minimum wage. Um, mm. So... <clears throat> For what is essentially a graduate level job, very fucking skilled labour, because you've had to go to university and learn all this shit to essentially be a labourer. And you do need to know it to be able. Yeah, to Yeah, you it. do need to know it to dig it up. To be fair, you've got this massive sort of dissatisfaction, which is then coupled with the thrill of discovery. So you love doing it, but it's killing you. That that is that is the most succinct way I can think of to describe my career really yeah. in, as a field archaeologist. I was I fucking loved it, and it fucking killed me. Yeah. <laughs> So, and it needs that much swearing. There are there are very few people who have lasted their entire careers in the field, and they look like they're made out of leather. Yeah, it's true. They all look like Phil Harding like from something. And yeah, he, he he looks like what you're sat on right now. He is, uh, he is minus the tapestry. Beaten. I don't know. He wears some pretty fancy shirts. <laughs> yeah, he's Hollywood now. Uh, it, it, those sorts of sorts of ideas that you're looking at for character creation is. Very, very basic ideas. What kind of archaeologist am I? Am I in this direction, that direction? Where am I in my career? You totally could take like the people from Time Team, as much as it's not a good example of archaeology, you could take the Tony Robinson, what a fucking bellend, and play that. <laughs> or take Mick Aston, he actually knows what he's talking about. Mick Aston's a wizard, yeah. Yeah, or Phil the Dig, who just fucking loves digging. Yeah. He fucking loves digging. He's made of spades. He's great, I love him. We uh, met him once in York. Made of spades, made of spades. Yes! So, but there's also um, archaeology uh, for a start. People think it's like a very male profession because it's laboring and, and adventuring, whatever. Archaeology is 50-50 male-female down the line. There is some sort of split in that the, um, the finds work tends to be uh, more women doing that sort of thing because it's the sort of thing that will allow you to take a career break to Osteo is predominantly women. Yeah. I don't know why as well. Osteo. It, it's like 80% women doing yeah, really bones. Is, yeah. um, but, uh, but a lot of a lot of death related professions are heavily female based. Morticians, embalmers. Embalmers are almost all female. Yeah. I, no offense to any male embalmers out there. There are just a hell of a lot more women than there are. I women. did not know that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um so so that, that's that's the question to ask about the characters. But there is the greatest secret of archaeology and heritage as a thing and, and archaeology is how you get information for heritage so archaeology is a part of heritage so standing buildings just a part of heritage as uh, as, as buried remains historic landscapes still part of heritage uh you put all those together you get heritage and the secret of heritage is it doesn't exist this is what i tell my colleagues and it just sort of blows their minds and like heritage only exists because we think about it and we agree that it exists it only has value so long as we agree that it does 
you might find a bit of pot in a, in the ground. It doesn't change the fact that there is a bit of pot there. That is never going to change. That that fact has existed. The fact of how it got there doesn't change. But that it is a thing that we value is only present if we think about it. And that makes it seem like it's very, very wishy-washy and undervalued. But the same is true of money. Mm. It only mm. exists it's, because we it's say it has value. completely made up. People yeah. will laugh at tribes in Africa for using beads as a barter system. We use money is exactly the same. I don't yeah. understand how people have such difficulty understanding the idea that money has ascribed value. It's not worth yeah. how much we say. If, it if is. someone is going to it's use made up. the husk of a particular nut, that is, and then really all that all they're doing is t- is using something that does refresh and does come, you know, that does get produced, but is in a very limited supply, and yeah. thus it, it has commodity value and has exchange value. Mm. Possibly in and of itself, like silver coins and whatever, that's having loads of little bits of silver coins you're talking about there, you're still fine because you can melt it down and make a new one. It has it has the value of its material. But exchange values, um, commodity values and things like that, well, that's a commodity value, which is use value. But then you have exchange value, which is money. It's currency. So if you use a nut, there is no different to using a very, very complicated picture of a famous scientist and a queen yeah. to pay mm. for something, which is what we do. Um, and if we all said tomorrow that has no value, I can't do anything with it. What can you do with money? You, you can use it. What you can write on it. You could like what use does it have to you make? You can't it even wipe your ass with it. It's too shiny. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it certainly is these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it doesn't have that many actual practical uses. It's purely we pretty... agree that it is useful. Paper money is quite good for snorting coke, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Every single fifty-pound note has coke on it. Uh, and I think something like the the, the 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 proportion of how many notes have coke on it gets lower as you go down the value, and then skyrockets at five again. I was going to say five would be the one that I would have yeah. thought. Uh, I suspect um, that that ratio percent of public toilets uh, in in clubs and things like have have cocaine on the uh, on the the system. I suspect that ratio will completely be thrown out of whack. Game changer. Now that, uh, <laughs> Just yeah. rub your gums up against it. <laughs> I suspect that ratio will completely change now that all the the money is made out of plastic, and therefore they they keep their rigidity and strength way longer. Static, anyway. yeah. Um, my, can I tell you an <laughs> anecdote about my friend who decided he was going to solve all of the world's problems by getting rid of money? Because <laughs> okay. as far as he was concerned, it was it is the root of all evil. It's you know it's that's the problem so I went, yeah. okay so so I went, <laughs> focusing on on the method of keeping score rather than the evil is done okay. yes <laughs> so anyway ignoring that um so i said okay fair enough but how does the world then operate because we need some kind of system maybe and he goes well what i propose instead is food vouchers okay that's, how but is that, that is money? exactly what money is. Money is a food voucher. But you can also spend on other things. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so I, so, so I go, his idea was to make the, the worst Christmas ever. Yeah. So, so I go. So <laughs> I go to him. Vouchers. It's like so, that park Christmas yeah. catalogue. You can pay for your Christmas in advance, but you can only have one, one kind of anything. <laughs> and it'll be the worst kind. I said to him then. So, so, so why? What? Because everybody needs food. Yeah. Okay. But everyone also needs shelter. And goes, well, you know. F- food vouchers will be valuable because people will want food for other things so you can possibly exchange them for buying TVs and he basically just explained money to me (laughs) and I even started taking the piss out of him a little bit by going but surely aren't people going to be able to fake these food vouchers and he went well yeah we'll have to put some security stuff on them like holograms or something like that picture of the queen maybe no point during it whatsoever even when I started explaining to him it's the same thing the feeling that he still couldn't understand what I was getting at and why his invention wasn't unique. The feeling that you had in that conversation. Yeah. 
It's what it's like being mansplained to all the time. Yeah. It's, it's worth mentioning. <laughs> all the time. Preach. Fucking preach. <laughs> last thoughts. Very last thoughts. Um, and that is, okay, so archaeology is a mental construct. It only exists if you think about it. Or heritage is as well. So the question you think about when you are planning archaeology in your campaign, who cares about it and why do they care about it? Because the only reason anyone digs anything up is that somebody cares. Now, in modern archaeology, um, it's because there is a law that tells them they have to. Back in the 1920s, back in like Call of Cthulhu, you know, heyday, someone is doing it because it's a passion project. Someone has called you to do a thing. Why have they called you to do that thing? Why do they care about it so much? It's not because they have a vague interest. They are trying to do something specific. They are trying to impress their friends. They are trying to um, get kudos. They are trying to find out a, a, a deep secret about their family. They're trying to disprove a secret about their family, you know, like a, a story about their family. Uh, find the thing that they care about that isn't a hole in the ground and make it about that because they will be doing that. If you've got something that is ancient on your site, people make it about themselves. What you learn in the history of archaeology is the history of archaeology is about trying is that lots of people over lots of time looking at things in the past and going, they were just like us, really, weren't they? You can look at the same site, take away all the, the location from it. Let's say it's a big hut uh, in the middle of loads of little huts. What's the big hut for? Uh, being communal and getting drunk, probably. Big people. Chieftain, yeah. <laughs> the little ones, the little people. Yeah. So... The classic in, um, interpretation of that, they say you've got a big hut where all the nice things are. The chief lives there. That's where the, 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 the tribes are. That He's communal thing. He's got the fanciest hats. He needs a higher hut mm. clearance so he can still walk around. Yeah. Um, back in the 1950s, nobody would have said it's a communal hut. Apart from in China. It was in the 1950s when it said it because they'd have been dying at the time. But um, in China, uh, they interpret all the large structures and the, and the grand stuff as being where the communal things happened. And they absolutely ignore all this imperial stuff. They actually ignore it entirely because they want it to be communist. So we all interpret things. Uh, we don't see people how they are. We see them how we are. That's a, that's a, a very wise line that I had from a therapist once. Uh, very wise man. Just a, a quick word of advice to our listeners. If you are setting your archaeological dig in... Russia in the last hundred years at least or so. It doesn't work how archaeology works here. You say what you're going to find, you go and find it and then you leave and if you don't find it or you find something different, you are thrown out. Yes. And that's the end of your game. Yeah. Um, uh, the, in, in the last 30 years um, in Europe, um, because of a treaty that was signed, um, things have been preferentially funded and research has been preferentially funded if it if it's, um, explores the idea of shared European heritage. Mm. We don't necessarily have that. That is not, not necessarily a thing that exists. Um, they're, 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 okay, fine. Uh, there's, there's shared heritage and blah, 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 and borders aren't what they were. But there's nothing about the whole of Europe. There's nothing about this this monoculture. Yeah, the, cult, the culture changes with across Europe. Yeah. There's no overarching culture really the, at any one time. The myth of the Celts started because of that. <laughs> the Celts were a single tribe that lived at the headwaters of the Danube, but they were not a homogenous people. It would be exactly the same as if you said everyone in Europe is the same sort of people because yeah. we have a, a common root language in the, the Romance languages. If you if you said that French people. English people or all Brit all British people, uh, German people and uh, Spanish people and Italian people and Polish people and all that were all the same because we had a, a common root, not the common root. Polish is a slightly different family of languages, but has some similarities. It's like saying that's all the same country. Christ, you're not even allowed to say Mancunians are like Liverpudlians and they're separated by what thirty 
miles, 40 miles, something like that. I was that. really like, surprised when I moved here. I thought everyone would sound like uh, Victoria Wood, and no, everyone just sounds like they're from Liverpool. <laughs> so find find about find out who cares about it and why. And if it's that important, if it's important culturally, someone official will care about it, and they will want you to do a certain thing. And that pressure still exists today. People want you to tell a certain story. Yeah. Um, and what if you're not? What if you find something that is directly contradicting that? That can be a point of contradiction. I think my top tip is is uh, it might be called a dungeon crawl, but it doesn't have to happen in a dungeon. And simple as think outside you don't the box. Have to crawl. Yeah. <laughs> think about what speed. you want to do, and then that go. Is... Where would be a really cool place to set this? Maybe you want to do it in the middle of a forest. Maybe you want to do it in someone's dreamscape. Snow Maybe wheels. you want to do it. You know. Super fast on the snow. Yeah. Oh, what was that? A puzzle? Caves. I don't know. It was too fast. I didn't see. Ah. You know, do a dungeon crawl in ice caves, you know. Uh, what about having um, you're in Brittany uh, and you are teleporting between suit terrains? You've got tiny little underground passages. Teleporting they all between soup terrains? Soup terrains. The suit the terrain is a, is a small underground storage thing, but what if they were all linked up mystically and you'd step between them and it made a single dungeon, but you can exit them at various places and be in different parts of the world? Mm, yeah, cool. Yeah, no like reason that. it couldn't be. Uh, you are inside um, the fossilized remains of the largest fungal mycelium ever. Yeah. You are in a something that used to be a maze uh, that then got knocked through to be made into a residence and now has elements of everything in it. You are in a ship graveyard where all the ships have been mangled and crushed together by the tide and you are working your way through the bowels of one ship, moving into another, going up on deck of another one and just slowly weaving your way through it. Judge Dredd That'd is a dungeon really crawl. That'd be really good. I yeah, like that. Yeah. The, 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 new, the, the more recent Judge, uh, Judge Dredd is a dungeon crawl. It's so yeah. good. And it's, it's a tower block. a good film. Yeah. yeah. So you, you you can make it vertical, you can make it horizontal, you can make it any direction you want. You can put it in time, for example, that maybe um, that going through the levels of a dungeon is not going through the levels. It's you go. It's the same dungeon ten thousand years earlier. It's got hardly any of it in there. It hasn't been expanded out. It's lots of natural features. You go twenty thousand years later, and it's suddenly become like. Um, uh, there's a city on top of it, and there's people coming down and and doing various things, and there's and people have used it for storage of stuff, or they've used it, like in Manchester, they used to use uh, an old tunnel, uh, an old cold war tunnel, and they now have a telephone exchange there. Mm-hmm. Each level has its own challenges, but it's the same area with a different layout and a different feel and all that. But it's the same place in different parts of time. Mm-hmm. So how about that? Um, so, Kate, your final thought. Kestrels got spotty stomachs. <laughs> You didn't say what it had to be about. You're right. I did not specify. <sighs> Got to think things through before you ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> and because I have to get away very, very quickly, we'll end there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's the end of that. But there is a lot more recorded. Like I said at the beginning, we have an episode of all our digressions and tangents on the Patreon feed which is available to anyone who pledges one dollar or more. It's over 40 minutes long, and here's the taste. You might not be privy to this. I, I have I have a deep, deep desire to steal things from people's utility belts. You're not oh, even that's... inside me! <laughs> Do you want to steal those policemen's handcuffs? The, the standing up bit, like a Japanese board meeting, I'm okay with that, but not the stress positions, that's just... Someone is doing insane tentacle stuff the Lizzie and Phil idea that we for some reason hashed out at work in public yeah talking about the Queen doing loads of cocaine
What? You believe in the moon? Um, and so you get Corgis, the SAS, Harry. Harry. Yeah. Yeah! yeah! It's also been a while since I did a blooper song, so here's one. <laughs> Girl Squid. Leaf like quiche. Leaf like quiche. Leaf like quiche. Yeah, I'm super bended. Leaf like quiche. Leaf like quiche. Leaf like quiche. Yeah, I'm super bended. I would love to make it. I would love to make it. I would love to make it. Yeah, I'm super bended. Intro music was by Victor DeAndres, blooper music by Bad Brains, and Kate's song by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening, everyone. Merry Christmas.